From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello, Happy New Year. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host and producer Craig Williams. Craig, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you and everyone else. Thank you. Yeah, it is. I think this is going to be an exciting year. I hope so. So, it, so, and it's time for not only a new year, but a new season of Connecting with Walt. So, so Craig, do you have any New Year's resolutions you'd like to share with us? Oh, I just want to do everything that is possible this year. So, um, I mean, in... Well, starting with the the very first episode that we're recording here, I did not end up getting to uh, go to this event and taking part in it. And I've been kicking myself ever since for not going into debt trying to get a ticket for this. So, um, yeah, that's that's my uh, that's my resolution this year. No matter what it is, um, make sure that I am there being a part of it if I have the opportunity. But uh, mm-hmm. in terms of what I'm most excited for uh, this year is uh, clearly this summer when we have uh, the, the next round of uh, the D23 Expos this July. Yes. yes. Very pumped for it. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it because there is just so much coming. Yep. In in the parks, in the from the studios, uh, you know everything. So I think uh, even from the cruise lines, I think they're going to have a lot to announce, and we are going to be there. Yes, we will. Back it uh, is. We'll be there. We'll be back with a booth, just like we were uh, last time. A little mm-hmm. bit on the smaller scale than we. Uh, we did before, but... Uh, well, that's because my Mickey chair is not <laughs> going to be there. It is staying here in in my studio. <laughs> yep, yep. But uh, we will we will all be there. Our, pretty much our full team, for the most part. Uh, maybe not everyone will be there, but no, it's, it's going to be a great time. So I cannot wait for July. Yeah, me too. So... Well, our our theme oh, and my, mine. You said you want to do everything um, possible. I, I I probably should say I want to do everything that's probable. <laughs> I have to I have to manage my time better and and probably realize I can't do everything possible. Probably just some things <laughs> <laughs> because I try to and um, I I think I just get a little too frazzled. Yep. <laughs> so. Anyway, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but but here at Connecting with Walt, our theme for our January 2017 season is a season of adventure. So we have a lot of adventurous and exciting episodes planned for you as 
what Craig brought up, the D23 Destination D Amazing Adventures event. And this is how we're going to kick off this month's theme of adventure. We're going to talk about the events at the recent D23 Destination D Amazing Adventures event. Um, I was there, but I know Craig will most likely have some updates for us. Hopefully. On, uh, <laughs> things that took place there. And uh, so Craig and I will talk about that because I know Craig has a lot of thoughts about announcements and information that was shared at this event. Uh, and on our gen- and that will that of course is our January sixth episode. On January thirteenth, we are going to talk about um strengthening our connection to Walt. We're going to talk about um we're, we're, Craig and I are going to share our recommendations for books, films, music, and more to strengthen um, our connection with Walt. We get a lot of inquiries about books we can recommend in, of different genres and different fields as well. Uh, and we're going to bring in ways, that, uh, films that we enjoy, music we enjoy, and even more that uh, will help you to connect with Walt as it helps us on Episode um, 26, it's January 20th. It's the Alice Comedies. Well, we're going to see how um, Alice went into Wonderland in her adventures. Um, We're going to continue our examination of Walt Disney's animated films with a look at his Alice's Wonderland series. And finally, since this is our season of adventure... On January 27th, this is episode 27. It's We're going to look at the Magic Kingdom's Adventureland, and we're going to take a walk through the history of this very special realm of the Magic Kingdom. So, Craig, I think we have a lot planned. Yes, we do. It's or, going to be a very busy month. So It's full, full of possibilities. Yep. <laughs> Hope everyone has a lot of time. Yes. Yep, really. <laughs> and, and that they're full of adventure. So, um, so let's get started. Last year, from November 18th uh, through November 20th, um, D23, the official Disney fan club, held their Destination D Amazing Adventures event. And, and I was able to attend, and I thought it would be fun to share my amazing adventures there with you. And, Craig, you brought up the, uh, you know, the D23 Expo, and so, you know, I thought it would. This would be a good opportunity to maybe share with our listeners the difference between what a D twenty three destination D event is, and then and what a um, D twenty three Expo event is. So I have my Jungle Cruise skipper hat on, and Craig, are you wearing your um, Pith helmet? Um, I am not. That's at the dry cleaners, I think. So oh. I'm. Uh, oh. Uh, I'm putting on my fedora, my Indiana Jones oh. fedora. That'll have to Oh, work, okay. Right? That's good. That'll definitely work. So, so Craig, do you want to tell our listeners, you know, what is the difference between a Destination D event and a D23 Expo? Well, I will give my Cliff's Notes version on it because, uh, you know, I haven't been around and involved in D23 as, uh, as much as you have. Um, but, yeah, basically, D23 Expo happens uh, – on a biannual, I guess that's what it would be, every other year basis in Anaheim, California. And they've even done, uh, they've done one in, they did it in Tokyo, right? They do them in Tokyo. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so that is just the ultimate fan convention for uh, people who are 
fans of Disney in general. Um, so whether it's the movies, the parks, uh, television, history, uh, all that. It's just, it is the place to be a three day, uh, three day event with lots of panels, uh, shopping, uh, chances to meet celebrities, this, that, and it's just, if you haven't been, you know, even if you've been to another convention, Comic-Con, something else, uh, for Disney fans, there's nothing else quite like it. Whereas uh, Destination D, I the best way I describe it is while D23 Expo might be the the event for Disney fans, I feel like Destination D is the event for Disney Parks historian fans. Um it while the the subjects vary and like this year with um with amazing adventures even went into the realm of uh, walt disney true life adventures and that whole film series uh, among other things but this is the stuff that you know when we get criticized and uh we're, we're called geeks and this that, and the other disney nerds this is the reason why we are called these things because they go into just the nitty gritty of it. And while some people would probably fall asleep or roll their heads over the information being touted out, um, it is just out of this world interesting. Um, and it takes place over two days at Walt Disney World. Right now it's mm-hmm. happening. The past two ones have been at uh, the Contemporary. And I'm mm-hmm. guessing that will be the the home for as long as it can hold it. And uh, the the best part of Destination D is because um, because of where it's being taken place at and the limited capacity, um, everyone is actually guaranteed seats for every panel with their admission ticket, unlike an event like the Expo, where your ticket will get you into the Expo, but then you might have to wait hours and hours and hours and not get into some of the bigger panels, like the, the animation panel or the live action and you know that's that's how i see the difference between the two events would you uh add anything else in that i missed no actually the only thing i would add is with destination d it's everything's in one room yes i mean you you sort of stake your claim in there and so you don't have to move from you know convention room to convention room whereas at the expo you're sort of running back and forth yep and both both are great um, oh yeah, they are. For my money, if I had the choice to do either or, I would probably do Destination D over and over again. And you know how much I love coming out to California, so mm-hmm. that says a lot. <laughs> oh yeah, but uh, yeah, I love both. I love yeah. Destination D. It's it's smaller, it's more intimate, uh, less chaotic. Yeah, yeah, so, great way of putting so it. It's very nice. So yeah, so this and, and Destination D always has a theme. And so this year, the theme was Amazing Adventures, and that that was broad enough that it, it could encompass many, many things. So, uh, so let's let's just sort of get in there. Well, first of all, uh, you know, it started on Friday, November eighteenth, and and that was where you could just register. You could get your goodie bag, and the goodie bag was an Ethan Allen little tote bag. And you said Ethan Allen because they were the sponsors of the event. And the reason for that was um, they launched a new line of Disney furniture mm-hmm. by Ethan Allen. They had a small display there. In 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 it, it's it's lovely to look at and, and, and expensive to own. 
but but that is Ethan Allen furniture. Yep. And so and and in our goodie bag there was a, a catalog of the furniture that we could take a look at and and, and enjoy the prices. And 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 a few other things we got. Of course it was Mickey Mouse's birthday, so we got the button that was given out in the parks on that day. Very nice. So so which is nice because that was the day I was flying in, so yeah, I couldn't yeah. get a button. So, um, and then we got a, a few other things that we got in there. Of course, we got our, the, the sort of the guidebook for the weekend that they was our passport to adventure. And we got a, a few other little things in there. The biggest thing was we got free Magic Bands 2.0. Yes. Each of us. That was, that was emblazoned with the Destination D um, logo on it. And they were, of course, you know, Jungle Cruise green. Actually, they look dis green to me. Yeah. And yeah. that is still, I've worn that now on, you know, two trips to Walt Disney World and that one. And then, of course, for Podcast Crew 6.0, the, the cast members go nuts over this magic band. They have to show it around. They ask me if they can touch it, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so what they had there was a display case also of all the Magic Band goodies that I think are now being released in the parks. Yes. Because I think I, I saw an article on the Diz about it. Yeah, right now as we are recording this, just a little bit early so that way we can enjoy our holiday season, um, uh, they are starting to be released. So by the time this is released, a lot of people will get their hands on Magic Band 2.0. And it's it's a bit different because it's a little wider yep. than than Magic Band 1.0, but there's like a medallion in the center that's the actual RFD chip. It contains it, and that pops out so that you can then put it in other items. And they have medals you can wear. They have like carbiners you can attach to your belt or keychain-like items that you can also attach to your belt. I mean – there is so much and all that. So um, so it's going to be interesting. To see. And they come, of course, in a multitude of colors. So there's going to be a, a lot of interesting uh, merchandise that's going to come out of these, I think. Okay. And yes, and, and the Magic Bands 1.0 will continue to work so long as the batteries hold out. Yes. But from what I'm hearing is even though you when you select your Magic Bands, it's showing 1.0. Um, people are receiving 2.0. Yeah, I in, uh, I ordered my Magic Band that I get as an annual pass holder, and I still haven't gotten it in the mail yet. But hopefully, any day now, I will uh, I will find myself with a Magic Band 2.0. Yeah, and and some of the accoutrements that come with this, it's also Mickey and Minnie, mm-hmm. so that you can attach the little RFD medallion to. Another. Uh, um, sort of exhibit that they had there was um, Walt's Great Adventures that was opened through the duration of the event. And this was from the Walt Disney Archives, and it was a collection of photos and other sort of artifacts of Walt's uh, travels around the world. And, you know, they, they referred to how Walt Disney was the showman of the world and it reached audiences around the globe and, and he transformed an entire you know, entertainment industry. And so they, they had all kinds of photographs from his, you know, Hawaiian adventures to uh, his different movie sets. 
Um, I mean, to his goodwill tour to South America in 1941, where, you know, we got the three caballeros and saludos amigos, you know, from that. And and then finally, even to his um, his final adventure, his trips, of course, to Central Florida, where Walt Disney World was ultimately made. So there were some wonderful photographs. Some, you know, we've seen, you know, if you've been on Disney Cruise Line, you've seen some of the ones from Walt's, uh, you know, um, when Walt and Lillian yep. would do the transatlantic cruises and all that. But there were some that were wonderful, uh, you know, just sort of candid shots of Walt and Roy and Edna and Lillian all relaxing. Yeah. And there were also things like um, Walt's uh, Red Cross, um, you know, um, papers when he, you know, altered when he lied about his age yes, for World yes, War One, yeah. and changed and and a, a lot of their um, travel documents were in there. Walt's first movie camera, uh, some some items from his South America trip, including this beautifully leather embossed scrapbook hmm. of all his photos that he actually showed on television um when he when they presented saludos amigos and the three caballeros on the wonderful world of color uh, some great shots of walt in south america and you know taking snapshots and you know things like that and um some when they were doing films in you know after world war ii when walt had to you know the money couldn't that they made on the Disney films had to stay in the United Kingdom yeah. to help boost the economy. So that's when Treasure Island and Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea and and and, and some other films um, were made, um, at least partially made in those countries. Um, there's some photos from that. Walt and his family visiting uh, antics with um, Kirk Douglas, things like that. Yeah, and. Um, and then let's see what else. Oh, there were some artifacts like the helmet that, uh, that, or the crown, I should say, that the king of the leprechauns wore in Darby Ooh. O'Gill and the Little People. That was really cool to yeah. see. And oh, some some of the travel items from the Walt Disney's private jet for the company, even down to like the um, seat belts that had you know the the Disney Studio logo on it, and the Walt Disney production travel bags. Um, for the plane, uh, you know, things like that. Yeah. I mean, it was really cool. And uh, I'm just sort of skimming through all the photos that I took. <laughs> and then there are some of Walt in Florida. We're looking at the uh, maps for the Florida site and all that. And you can see there he's discussing um, where things are going and all that kind of stuff. And finally, you know, some of his last um, vacations with the family and and of course because this is amazing adventures there's some photos of Walt on Disneyland's Jungle Cruise and being a, including being a Jungle Cruise skipper very nice and all that so that was yeah. nice and then of course they had the Mickey's of Glendale was there where you could um, they had a series of pins that people stood in line for hours for the nice thing is the event pin was in our goodie bag Oh, so we good. did not. Um, so I did not have to wait yeah. in order to uh, get because that's really all I wanted. So um, and for those Saturday, who don't know what Mickey of uh, Mickey's of Glendale is, that is the exclusive Imagineering store. And they had some items exclusive to this event, as well as the the standard uh, 
items that were for um, that were for Walt Disney Imagineering. You know, they had their logo on it. Yep. Anything you can imagine has Walt Disney Imagineering logo on it. So, and I, I bought a few, I bought some pens and stuff there. And um, they also had some clearance items from previous D23 events, including I got a great um, hoodie from the D23 Christmas event that had Pluto with an ornament on his tail. And it was like 10 bucks or something. And so, um, so I got that. That was great. So, so the first event, Saturday, November 19th, of course, we got our big welcome. And there's a big montage of clips of different D23 events and talks and things that they've had. And then our host for the uh, whole weekend comes in. Uh, I I don't know, I think you might have heard of him, Craig, Dr. Albert Falls. Uh, Once or twice. Yes, yes. And can can you tell our listeners who he is in case they've never encountered the good doctor? Well, Dr. Albert Falls, uh, from what I know, that would be, uh, why am I drawing a blank right now? Probably because, <laughs> have you been on the Jungle Cruise? <laughs> yes, I have. Um, I'm... It's eleven twenty. It's time when I'm recording this right now. <laughs> it's, it's well. It's of course the waterfalls. Yes, yes. Schweitzer named, Falls, named, named after yes. Doctor Albert Falls. Sorry. Yes, that's there we right. Go. And there. I believe he was a fixture in the Adventurers Club. Yes, from what I understand. Well, he was our expedition leader for the event. He's hilarious, and so he came back several times. But he is very important in something that is being rolled out to the Disney parks around the world, and we'll get into that. Then, of course, uh, the person that that we've had on our show, connecting with Walt, Jeffrey Epstein, yes. um, wh- who is uh, the director of communications, that we all know him as the Disney geek. He introduced, um, he had a um, uh, Michael Vargo, who's the vice president of D23, and he came out and talked about, he confirmed that there is going to be a D23 Expo. I believe, though, however, um, Dr. Albert Falls introduced Michael Vargo as Clutch Cargo. <laughs> so there's a little bit of confusion there. But uh, Michael Vargo talked about the D23 Expo. Right now, there's not a lot of information. He confirmed that there will be a design challenge again, and it will be pirate-themed this year so that's something anybody can enter so we'll be sharing more information on the days about that as it becomes available um the d23 expo arena will be returning because they realized they needed that big venue again and um it was we were quite surprised when they didn't have it last time and disappointed also uh there they talked about the d23 faniversary is going to be coming up in the fall of 2017 and it's going to be celebrating the 35 years of Epcot. So we'll have to see what that looks like because the anniversary has taken many forms over the years from a traveling event to something that was included, uh, you know, an online event to items that were included in the, in the D23 um, quarterly magazine. Okay. Then next uh, along came a conversation with um, Bob Chapek. He, of course, is the chairman of Walt Disney Parks and Resorts, and he was interviewed by D23's um, Jeffrey Epstein um, to talk about the parks. And so Jeffrey uh, asked um, Bob, you know, it's been a, 
you know, you've been the chairman for over a year and a half, and you've been with the company over 23 years. Uh, so how's it been going? And Bob said, uh, this is his dream job. So now you were a cast member, uh, you know, way back uh, in, in the day there. Craig, uh, did you have any encounters or know of Bob Chapek? No, I didn't. Not while I was there. Okay. What? Well, Jeffrey said that, uh, well, Bob said he had a very specific question for his staff when he started his job. And this came from Bob's family. And so the first question he asked was, whatever happened to the sour pickles in the plastic bags at Disneyland that they used to sell? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and it was his it was a fa- his family's tradition at Disneyland. And it, it it was for many people. And for a while, it was it, the venue changed where it was sold. It's now a Starbucks. And it sort of got moved around to a place that like sold fudge. And <laughs> I mean, so it's it's around, you just sort of have to look for it. But I think it's Last time I saw it, it was actually in Disney California Adventure. Yeah. But I think that one of the big things is they're going to bring it back. That would be nice. In, in Walt's Day, they floated in, in actual pickle barrels, barrels, and you just you just took yeah. the one you wanted. Yeah. So, nice. Uh, it, yeah, he talked about um, some of his big achievements in the last 12 months. Of course, it was the opening of Shanghai Disneyland, and that was a 17-year journey. And it is doing tremendously well. You know, and as we know, of course, they've already announced their their expansion plans, you know, for that park. Uh-huh. So um, talked about how they've introduced a new Soren across the world. Uh, Craig, now you've have you seen, you know, Soren 2.0? Unfortunately, yeah. Oh, OK, well, I was going to ask you what you, you've seen the original and now you, Soren um Soren, you know, Soren over California, now Soren across Cali- Soren across the world. What are your thoughts? How do they compare for you? Uh, I I just flat out do not enjoy Soren around the world. Um, it, it's not bad by any means, but I've been. If you've heard me speak about it before, I am very uh, critical about the transitions that I just don't believe they really make any sense, and they fit. In. I know. I know why they do, but in terms of the structure of the story, uh, just it, it could have been done a lot better than the mm-hmm. the goofy transitions that they threw in there. I thought they picked very iconic places uh, for Soren around the world to go, and uh, you know, I'll even kind of give a little leeway on it. I think Soren around the world will does and should fit in perfectly for many years at Epcot. But uh, getting to getting to go and experience it at California Adventure shortly after they switched over the film, uh, all I could do was stand there and think, why why couldn't they have kept California Adventures uh, as just regular classic soaring over California? It, yeah, it I, fits. I I agree. Uh, or they could have updated the California one. I mean, yeah. I know it it costs more money because. They can make one film and distribute it to all parks, and ours would have been unique. But um, I think it would have fit better thematically if they had just updated the California version. I don't mind the transitions as much because that was my only criticism of um, Soarin' Over California was the, the transitions were so harsh. You know, they had those hard cuts. Yeah. 
So I thought, well, at least let us fly through clouds or yeah. something. But See, um, they, they, and there was a reason they didn't, and I don't remember the reason. But um, see, I, I just know from uh, people who work in video, uh, transitions are essentially the cheap way out. So <laughs> if if you use a transition, the most you use is a dissolve. But <laughs> other than that, hard cuts, and it's you know every once in a while you have to get fancy with something, or you do the George Lucas Star Wars and have <laughs> weird circle dissolve transitions but uh yeah it's i i just something about it just irritates me being on it so i actually haven't i don't even think i've been on soren around the world since the last time i was in california back in june so that says what i think about it i do like how every ending is unique to the park it's in so that's interesting for the most part except That they had to go cheap on that, too, and couldn't pay for the rights to fly over their own parks and just recreated CGI versions of oh. it. Well, they did that They did that elsewhere in the film, yeah. too. Yes, they did. So. Yes, they did. <laughs> and we'll let, we'll let our, our listeners try to figure that out for themselves, which yeah. scenes are recreated. Or you can probably Google it at this point. Um, another highlight for him was actually something I have been very critical of on the on our Disneyland show, um, the new Frozen stage show at Disney California Adventure. Um, I, I am not a fan of the show. Mm. And uh, just because I don't think they do anything unique or different on, on the show, you might as well watch the film. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there's some other staging issues I have with it, and I thought at least the Aladdin version they did they did make that unique yeah. from the original story. They did nothing like that for um, for this version of Frozen. I still haven't been to it yet. Yeah, I enjoy much better the version they perform at uh, Princess Fantasy Fair at the Royal mm-hmm. Theater. At Disneyland, because again, it's a, it's the same story, yes. but the way they present it is completely different, yep. and gives it a, a a a different take on the show. So um, anyway, uh, and then of course the Frozen attraction at Epcot, and um, we've talked about this attraction on a previous um, episode when we talked about um, on a previous episode of Connecting with Walt. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think of so I've now ridden it again um, for Podcast Crew 6.0. So what are your thoughts on this attraction? I, I actually really love it. Um, I enjoy it more and more each time I go on. So it's it's very simple, and I know they really did just put a Band-Aid over top of, um, over top of Maelstrom with it. But, um, I, you know, I just I, I enjoy it. Uh, the Music's weaved well in there. When the animatronics work, I guess I should say, that's when when I enjoy it. When they're on the fritz, <laughs> it's not as fun. But um, uh, as I said on the Disney World Edition episode that we did uh, talking about the past year, um, it's I, I think it really is my, my favorite thing that kind of happened last year in Disney. Hmm. Yeah, I enjoy it. I, I still, it's again, one of my examples of a good, good attraction, wrong location. Uh-huh. But we're going to talk more about that because they actually did a presentation on it in in uh, Destination D. And I do have a much deeper appreciation for th- what they created here. 
Annette, I do think they attempted to make connections to Norway that basically unless you sat in this Destination D event, you wouldn't realize. Yeah. So uh, so I do think an effort was made. And so I, so I do appreciate the attraction even more because of that. And, and then they talked about Disney Springs is something I wanted to see. And just we didn't have enough time when we were there. The drone show, the Starbright Holidays. Have you seen that? Yes, I have. Uh, well, okay, now what do you think? And, and maybe tell our listeners what it is. Uh, essentially, Disney teamed up with uh, Intel and they created their first drone show. Um, you know, we knew that Disney was pushing really hard against the FAA to get permission to use drones on property. Uh, mm-hmm. Because there is a is there is a ban on flight over uh, Walt Disney World property, and they were able to lift it to be able to use them under you know, certain restrictions, like they can't be flown over people, um, which is a good thing. Because from everything I've been told, is that they are losing uh, they are losing drones into the water every now and then. So, That's what I've heard. Um, yeah. uh, but no, essentially, it's a it's just a short show, just right under five minutes, and. Uh, 300 drones lift up into the air and they kind of dance along to to an original holiday score with some very familiar holiday music and uh, kind of make shapes like a like a Christmas tree and and a, uh, either an angel or a dove one of the two that I still really can't figure out what it quite is but um, a, a very simple show that is technologically just brilliant um and it's just it's simple but it's enjoyable and it's you know you can't really complain it is a free holiday show um that you could just show up to uh twice a night at disney springs so i i really i you know while while it's not probably the most impressive uh thing they could do with drones especially right out of the gate um i i seeing it i definitely see the potential that drones can have mm-hmm. in Disney shows. And that's what I'm happy about. Yeah. And, and of course we have video of that. Yes, we do. You know, on the Diz. So that, which is the only way I've been able to see it. <laughs> I think it's impressive when you think of how quick, how, how soon they filed that patent, got approval. And then they, this show was out in no time. So they'd magic. obviously been working on it. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's impressive the technology and the programming that must've gone into it. Yes, no, so, it so I, absolutely is. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to what they're going to do with this because you know they have bigger things oh, planned. Yeah. No, something, something yeah. big's coming. Mm-hmm. And, and then, of course, another highlight was the 45th anniversary of Walt Disney World. Yes. You know, your park, so yeah. that was good. We won't talk so. about that. <laughs> we don't talk about your park or the 45th anniversary. Yeah, the 45th anniversary. Otherwise yeah, they, known as the the great celebration where the celebration banner didn't unfold. Oh yeah, I know that was sad. But <laughs> but forty fifth, well, well, you know, the, the technology. You know, we just had we have these marvelous drones, and we can't get a banner to drop. Yep. You know, I mean, it's those yeah. things happen. So, but but your fiftieth is in a few years. So I look forward to that. Yes. Um, and then they looked about talked about things in the future. Pandora. The, the most immersive land that is ever built. Um, so, and of course, they announced there that it will open in the summer of 2017. Of course, there is uh, some of the things that they talked about was the Navi River Journey. This is going to be a family-friendly attraction. Um, 
the only thing we can really compare it to is uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction at Shanghai Disneyland, if you've seen that video. Um, and you meet an actual um, shaman or shaman there. We'll talk a little more about that later. Um, there's going to be two restaurants there. And you're going to be able to fly on a um, banshee. So yes. Is that the name of that little critter? Yeah, it is. Yes. And and that is uh, that is going to be the big E attraction, and it's going to be the biggest attraction ever built. Hmm. They said um, in technology and in storytelling. He said that for Marvel, there's a lot of things coming in Hong Kong Disneyland. Of course, the Iron Man attraction opened, which is you know s- s- uh, similar technology to Star Tours. Um, and of course, at Disney California Adventure, we are. Getting Guardians of the Galaxy Breakout, um, which is replacing our Tower of Terror. And, um, oh boy. Yeah, mine. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, that's with, the, you know, that's, it's going to be like the Guardians of the Galaxy. It's going to be irreverent, um, you know, and just sort of full of their personality. And Joe Rohde is behind this, which is the only thing that gives me hope. For this attraction right now. Uh, Of course, Star Wars, um, the expansion is going to be larger than Pandora. It will be um, 15 acres at both sites, Disneyland, as well as over there at Disney World, at the Disney Hollywood Studios. And they did share some new concept art. And every time they show more art for this place, the more amazing it looks. So, um, yeah. So, so we'll see. So, um, Star. So, anyway, also, also, they announced Star Tours is going to feature scenes from Episode Eight yes. in the film series, and it's going to be refreshed with each of the major films. Yep. Um, while, while it stays true to its original concept, and then we came to the announcement that has me most concerned, and that is for Epcot. We know that Epcot is struggling right now in terms of its attractions are aged and a lot of them have not been updated in decades or since they opened. Um, It is going to go through a major transformation and all they announced was it would be more Disney, more relevant, timeless, more family oriented and true to its original vision and for me not all of those terms go together yeah and i completely agree yeah so what i mean have you heard more what are your thoughts on this right now it's just all rumors uh being passed around um and nothing that's solid at the same time too you know of course there's been back and forth of oh is guardians of the galaxy going to come to Epcot, what's going to come into Epcot, what's going to happen, and, uh, you know, as of right now, basically the only thing I know is that I don't think anyone deep down knows anything, because uh, whatever the, whatever Imagineers are leaking today or talking about tomorrow will probably be changed in a year from now, and, um, you know, the, the big thing is people, everyone is, you know, bringing up that, oh, it's... It's going to be radically changed. It's going to be radically different. But at the same time, they're trying to make it seem like, well, no, it's going to just, it's going to be true to what the park should be. And 
uh, as you just pointed out, that it, adding adding more Disney to it, unless they are unless Bob Chapek meant they are adding Walt Disney's soul back into the park and trying to recapture his original visions for what Epcot was supposed to be, then there is no way that they can they can get it back to the original vision of Epcot by Disneyfying it with adding characters and franchises and Star Wars or anything like that. So mm-hmm. I just, you know, I, uh, I think us mega fans deep down are scared. Um, so hopefully, uh, hopefully there's an Imagineer out there somewhere who will, be uh, be the saving grace in this bringing up uh, maybe we shouldn't take it too far away from its its original purpose and you know maybe even go back out to the front of the park where the dedication is and read it over and over again and find out where it really includes disney characters in that mm-hmm. in that plaque Although, for World Showcase, some of the original concepts did include attractions like um, the UK Pavilion. They went back and forth between a version of Disneyland's Alice in Wonderland Mm -hmm. and the Mary Poppins attraction that did not make it into the Magic Kingdom that we talked about on our Magic Kingdom episode of Connecting with Walt. You know, they talked about the the Matterhorn version, except it would be Mount Fuji in Japan. And, you know, there was going to be the Rhine River expedition over in Germany. Uh, So there were attractions considered Mm -hmm. for some of these pavilions. So, you know, is, is that what they're trying to resurrect? And we've seen the first iteration of that was Frozen. So over in Norway. So I don't know. But, you know, I'm also worried, is it going to become their islands of adventure where it's their intellectual property park? Yeah. And, you know, so. Yeah, I just really hope it's uh, I I really hope that Future World is revived. You know, there's really not that much problems with uh, with World Showcase, just just the little things here and there that could really be plussed and fixed but i genuinely hope that they find a way to revitalize future world without just relying on their characters yeah yeah i agree we'll see what happens another thing bob chapik said is that we we, that guests should be in the disney bubble from transportation which should be um functional as well as magical and the guest experience should begin from the moment that you get into your car and that they're no longer going to take a one-size-fits-all model for guests Mm -hmm. so i don't know if they're talking about attraction vehicles or 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 what or if we're going to talk sing more of those magic bands you know, some of the rumors we heard about Magic Bands being more customized on on attractions. And I know they've they've experimented with that more in Walt Disney World because our Magic Bands are going to be different. Yeah. Our Magic Band experience out at Disneyland. Um, so he said that they need to make a, a North Star, and that is the guest experience. So we'll talk a little more about the magical transportation in a bit. Um, we, we got a glimpse of one possibility. Um, but, but Bob said that 95% of guest comments are about guest interactions with a cast member. And that is where the magic begins. So, um, so that's, that's very exciting. Yeah. So um, also then another 
and this is why Dr. Albert Falls is so important. This uh, another uh, sort of um, venture they're going to do is the Society of Explorers and Adventurers that was founded in 1899. That is going to be something that is rolled out to all the parks. And that's going to be with Dr. Albert Falls. So, you know, you saw it at first with the Adventurers Club. Um, we saw it over with um, the Tower of Terror over in Hong Kong uh-huh. and and in Tokyo and all that, where they don't have, you know, they have the Joe Hightower, um, you know, character and who owns the hotels. And I, th- I think it's the Tokyo one. And then... And also, um, Dis- it's going to roll out to Disneyland, where I guess it's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be tied more into our Jungle Cruise um, area. So, so it's going to be interesting to see what that is. In Mickey's of Glendale shop, they were selling shirts with the Society of Explorers and Adventurers logo. Yeah, and all that on it. So I have I to keep that. an eye out for that. So um, we also got a special gift at this point. We got a four-piece lithographed set of the Pandora posters, not the not the lovely little jewelry, but rather the posters that are on the um, the the hmm. construction walls over at Animal Kingdom. Yeah, for that realm. Do you have those so, hanging up already? Yeah, and not quite yet. I have to find the space for hmm. them. So, so that that was it for Bob Chapek's talk. The next thing that came along again was in in looking at, carrying on with the adventure theme. It was a look back at Walt Disney's True Life Adventures. This is with film producer Don Hahn and Walt Disney Archives director Becky Klein, and they talked about uh, the landmark True Life Adventures series, um, which earned Walt Disney Studio eight Academy Awards. So they had a lot of clips from these. This is actually quite funny. Throughout it, um, in 1946, of course, Seal Island was uh, was released. Um, RKO, who was the distributor for Disney Films at the time, felt there was not an audience for this, and it was with great reluctance. I mean, Walt had to force it to be released. So, uh, when Walt won the Academy Award for it, he took the Academy Award the next day into Roy's office and told him to hit the RKO executives over the head with it. So um, anyway, so they they, they showed a a brief documentary on the films. Some of the interesting things they talked about the, the, the seas, there were, there were, there were a series of seas that went with this film series. The first C was companions. 50% of the true life photographers were married couples and they would be in the field 24 seven for one to three years. And this was, they were in the rugged outback for this time um, or, or in the rugged wilderness. Um, Courage for some examples was for instance, the, the, the Malats, they had, um, they were one of the principal photographers, a husband and wife um, team. When they were filming Bear Country, they um, they they slept in. Um, they they had their only protection from the bears is they had a slingshot, mm. <laughs> and so which mm. they 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 were very very reluctant to use. Yeah. They also had uh, there was a wilderness Winnebago that was built in the studios. It was like a mobile home, and they could film um, from within it. But they it, they could also film away from the vehicle, and what happened was they got stuck in the vehicle for three days when they were surrounded by a herd of four hundred bull elephants. 
Mm. So um, the vehicle was also quite heavy. You know, it was built at the studios, but of course in Africa at the time where they were going, there were no roads. And so it would get stuck in the mud and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, They talked about what a lot of people don't realize too is part of the True Life Adventure series. There was a People and Places series that Walt produced about cultures around the world, which again was very ahead of its time about all the, the diversity you know, of of the people um, and, and cultures of our planet. Um, they talked about cameras. They talked about all the different types of cameras that they had to use to film, um, like for African cats. And, and, um, and, and in 2016, they're using um, – they had to develop um, new cameras and things like that for their films. Talk about contraptions, how they had to go through um, great lengths to sometimes get the shots. You know, they would be in duck blinds. Um, they they would have to use snow planes like in the vanishing um, prairie. But the problem is, is you know, the snow planes uh, had wooden skis at the time. So the problem is they had to they were out in the middle of nowhere. They they had to melt vinyl records to coat oh. um, the wooden snow key, skis on the plane so that it would, um, you know, take off and land properly yeah. and all that they also talked about uh and this is a story that john hans told several times and he's actually made this cute little film about it there there was a film where um there's there's this clip of ducks on ice and you've probably seen it where there's this group of ducks on the frozen pond and then another duck is flying in yeah. and then the ducks all look around and the duck comes crashing in to yeah. this group of ducks and they show it over and over again well the problem is when this was first filmed as it was coming in and it was flying um and they were showing the the cut to walt and all that the the cameraman now now they had spent days trying to get all this film and all that for this scene the cameraman stopped the camera before the duck hit the group so you see the ducks and you see the one duck coming in and then it stops so of course then they cut away to something else and walt says wait a minute i where is the duck hitting the ducks i mean because that was you know that was the money shot you know for this they said well we don't have it and walt said no you have it he insisted you have it no walt we we don't have it he says walt said i've seen it I know you have it. So they went back to the films and they recut. They did everything. And and, and every time they showed to Walt, Walt kept insisting, I have seen this. I, he says, I know you you can get it. I know you can get it. And then finally, now Roy um, E. Disney, this, you know, he worked on these, you know, True Life Adventures. And, and if you ever get to see this little documentary thing yeah. on this, it's, it's a hoot. So they had to finally, they went up north to like Canada or somewhere, and they found a bunch of ducks on the ice. And now, of course, Don Hahn was very careful to say, we don't do this anymore. They actually took a duck and they skidded him oh. into the group of ducks to get this shot. Oh. And they, in order to get the different angles and all that, they had to do it over and over again so that finally, by the time the ducks got conditioned, they realized what was going to happen. So when they saw this duck coming, they would start to run, but huh. their little webbed feet couldn't gain traction on the ice. And so 
that was again that ended up being the final shot where you see the ducks you see that one duck coming in for the landing that's the original shots then you see the newer shots of ducks and they they all turn they see the other duck coming at them and now this is all interspliced with the original film and then they all turn and start to run as then the new duck slams into them and if you're really if you know your ducks you will see that these are different breeds of ducks and but they finally showed it to walt and walt just grinned and said see i knew you had the film (laughs) (laughs) and they finally realized that walt was saying is i know you can get this yeah yeah. And so um, oh, anyway, it, it's a hilarious story. And the fun. little clip that they put together to tell the story is great because they they take as they're explaining because Roy Disney's telling the story as, as they're explaining this. Uh, they have these little clips from Walt doing these different expressions as Roy E. Disney's narrating this story yeah. and all that to show, you know, what Walt's feel, feelings and emotions were at the time yeah. and you know he was annoyed he was you know he was pleased and all it was it's just a hoot another c is creepy crawlers like they had um snakes scorpions spiders ants i mean everything you can imagine they had to deal with whether they were sleeping with them in their tents yeah. or they were crawling on them when they filmed chimpanzees in in the rainforest there were bees scorpions um they had to wear surgical masks so the chimps would not catch our diseases oh. And so um, there's cuteness. They had um, they had a clip from the new Disney um, nature film, which is called Born in China. It's going to be released on Earth Day in 2017. Yes. It follows different groups of animals, um, snow leopards, um, monkeys and pandas. And of course, you know, so it's the, the mothers with the babies. And it, it was very, very adorable. So um, so that was that. Uh, that, that was that one. And I love the True Life Adventures series, and they were really ahead of their time. They'd never been made before. Oh yeah, no, um, and now, and now, of course, you know, there's whole there's channels on television dedicated, yeah. you know, to, to animal documentaries. Yeah. And, oh, and uh, True Life Adventures are absolutely fascinating. So uh, if you if you haven't seen them before, uh, you, you can find they released uh, uh, tins of them kind of similar to the Walt Disney Treasures uh, DVD mm-hmm. tins that they released before, uh, four different volumes for True Life Adventures, as well as uh, some of the, the more popular True Life Adventures were released as standalone uh, standalone DVDs, but uh, they're, they're fantastic. And then, uh, of course, they usually show at least one when uh, they do the TCM Treasure from the Disney Vault. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the one that... Well, as of recording this, it is still two days away from that one, but uh, it'll be in the past when this is released. But I believe they're actually kicking the night off, maybe with Perry, um, pretty much the the most well known True Life Adventure. Oh yeah, so, one of the first ones. Um, so yeah, it's they're they're out there to find. Uh, if you haven't seen them, I highly recommend it. Uh, it's <laughs> you know, it's 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 a trip seeing how things used to be. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And 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 the the filming is remarkable when you think about. It. I mean, it still holds up. Oh yeah, I hundred yeah. percent agree. 
Now, the next event was um, Marty Sklar. He, he talked about Albert Schweitzer, Harbert Goff, uh, Harper Goff, Bill Evans, and the Wonderland of Nature's own design. And he really, and Marty talked about the designing of um, Adventureland, especially the very first one, Disneyland. So Wed originally thought that they'd do projects beyond the parks, and they were coming up with a name that would indicate that, but um, Buzz Price uh, came up with the term imagineering that uh, actually he had gotten from elsewhere but um but Walt loved it and so when that happened they really started to focus in on just Disneyland so the developers of Disneyland included Richard Irvine Bill Cottrell Ken Anderson Claude Coates John Hench um, Bill Martin and Herb Ryman and they all came out of the studio and they were wonderful artists and um and, and, and especially at creating animation now harper goff met walt disney in london he um in 1949 they both were into trains and harper tried to buy a train engine um you know but this was before the lily bell was constructed but walt also wanted it so they got to talking and um walt found out that harper was an illustrator and walt um said that he asked to see him again and so harper was hired to work on Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea and the interesting thing is that's one of my favorite live action films and when the story it was going to be a very different film um walt when he read the book there were uh, there are certain elements he wanted to focus on but when he saw harper goff's designs for the nautilus it it um, inspired Walt, convinced Walt to completely change the story oh. for the film. Also, as a side note, it wasn't brought up in this, but I've heard this story before. Um, Harper did end up sort of outbidding Walt for the train <laughs> and locomotive, but the locomotive was damaged in shipping <laughs> on the way back to the United States, and it never worked. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, Harper Goff designed the first sketches, of course, for the um, Little Mickey Mouse Park across from the Burbank Studios, which is the first idea for Disneyland. Uh, as we've talked about in previous episodes, Harper designed Main Street USA, um, that was a lot of which was based on his um, boyhood home of Fort Collins, Colorado. And he designed um, Adventureland. And, of course, our Jungle Cruise is inspired by the film The African Queen. And... When you look at the original uh, map for uh, for Disneyland, um, Adventureland was actually on the other side of the park, but it was moved to basically behind City Hall uh, because to take advantage of a grove of eucalyptus trees that were there um, on the property. So um, now the Jungle Cruise animals are not technically audio animatronic figures they, they have very simple movements uh, Walter was very involved in the placement of every one of those animals because he wanted to make sure that each scene was properly illustrated um, Morgan um, Bill Evans did all of the landscaping for Disneyland and later for Walt Disney World and they showed a clip of Bill Evans on the Jungle Screw um, Jungle Cruise um, describing the story behind the design and planting of the Jungle Cruise now, so that was a really interesting story um, because every plant on that cruise tells a story 
mm-hmm. in itself. Um, Harper Goff was the art director on several films, including um, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the original. And then he came back to Disney to work on Epcot's Center and um, World Showcase. And he also um, designed the Persian and the um, Iranian pavilions that, of course, you know, the, well, the Persian, um, you know, Iran pavilion yeah. that was never built. So he was also in the Firehouse um, 5 Plus 2. And, of course, there's a country bear in Country Bear Jamboree that was uh, designed to pay homage to um, Harper Goff. And that was pretty much it. A lot of this was very video driven. Uh-huh. So, uh, but just amazing uh, what they had to do on very little budget with the original um, Jungle Cruise at Disneyland. You know, trees had to were uprooted and turned upside down in order to create canopies and things like that. And um, as the as the jungle grew, it actually created its own ecosystem, so that the plants which couldn't originally couldn't necessarily survive in in southern california um because as they got older then they um created their own ecosystem they were better able to survive and so more plants could more exotic plants could actually be planted there to give it the lushness that it has today so so that was interesting there there was then a special announcement from walt disney home entertainment uh, and basically uh my favorite classic animated film pinocchio is being released on digital hd with um even more bonus features on january 10th and they did show a clip from the trailer which is cute and then we got a very nice um lithograph of uh, of what the promotional you know, material is going to look like for Pinocchio. So I'm really looking forward to that. That should be helpful for us in our um, animation series that we're doing when we finally get to Pinocchio. I have a feeling it will. Yeah, yeah. So, so then the next one was Disneyland Adventureland. Disney Adventurelands Around the World, and this was with um, Tony Baxter, Jason Grant, and and Luke Miranda, and they looked at that uh disney the adventurelands from florida to shanghai since we had just looked at disneyland's you know so um previously so um magic kingdom that is um you know polynesian there there were a lot of things that were unique to your adventureland um from disneyland's um it is polynesian inspired rather than more african inspired such as um, the one at Disneyland. Yes. Um, you, of course, have Caribbean Plaza, which we do not have because we have New Orleans Square mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in our area. You have the Orange Bird, yes. which for some reason we have the Orange Bird merchandise at Disneyland, which I think confounds a lot of guests. Wow. But you have that delightful little Orange Bird, hey, which I mean, has made a return. You know, recently. most of our oranges come from California anyway, so... Huh. Well, speaking of which, you have the citrus swirl. Yeah, we do. That we do not have. Um, Tokyo Disneyland was well, – well, how do you feel your – the Magic Kingdom Adventureland compares with, with Disneyland's Adventureland? I, I try not to compare the two really just because they are vastly different. Um, it's – at the end of the day, Disneyland's Adventureland – has that 
charming aspect to it. Um, you know, I, I like certain aspects of it better. I like the entire layout of the Jungle Cruise better in Disneyland. Uh, obviously, I love Indiana Jones Adventure. Um, I much prefer Tiki Room in California. Uh, I, I, there's just so much I like better about it. The only thing that holds it back is the fact that uh, midday going through that area or you know, before or after Phantasmic, when that picks back up, it's just a nightmare getting through Adventure Land. So. You're right. After the morning, I don't even try to walk through yeah. there. If I can avoid it, you're right. It is an absolute nightmare. It is much too small yep. a realm. But I do like the elements you talked about. I like the um, the 1930s, 35 um, theme for uh, our Jungle Cruise attached to the Indiana Jones attraction. Yeah. Of course, yeah. that changed because of the Indiana Jones attraction. Um, I like your temple scene in the in your Jungle Cruise. Um, See where, I, while it's unique. I also dislike that part of it because, um, you know, they can't spiel while they're going through because of the echo that's uh. in there. So it's just, that's why it, it ends up being awkward. Oh, so. see, I like it. But I do think they could have more in it. That, that is the one thing. It's yeah. There's a lot of um, looking at structure. Yeah. And they need, like, more audio animatronics. They need a, a, maybe a couple of Mark Davis-like vignettes in there. Yeah. And all that, so that, you know, to just have something to look at as you go through. I'd be willing for them to try to make it better. So, mm-hmm. so um, I I think the besides the crowdedness, I think the eyesore that was our Tahitian, I, I loved our Tahitian Terrace when they changed it into Aladdin's Oasis yeah. and made it Agrabah in Africa made no sense. Yeah, I always, mm-hmm. I, I just walk right past it. I haven't really explored that small, small section over there any of the times that I've been out there. It just it doesn't make sense to me. I, I don't nothing, see why I need to. There's nothing to see there. Yeah. And then um, I do like that you still have Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Yeah, I do, so. I do appreciate Tarzan's Treehouse, too, despite my feelings against Tarzan. Oh, oh why does... Did, is there, is there some fantasy thing going on here? <laughs> yeah, I just, I've never really been a fan of Tarzan. Oh, I like that film. So, anyway, Tokyo, uh, Tokyo Disneyland is a mashup between Disneyland and Walt Disney World. Um, it includes um, New Orleans Square, and then they have Western Land rather than Frontier Land. Um, otherwise, there's you know. It's it's enjoyable. It, yeah. It's a pleasant place. Tokyo Disney Sea. Now they have the Lost River Delta. That's technically that's their Adventureland. They have Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, which is their version of Indiana Jones and the Forbidden Eye. I prefer ours. Um, they do, but it's still excellent. Um, they have two meet and greets there. They have Mickey's Trail and um, where and so you can meet Mickey, mm-hmm. and you can also meet the three caballeros there which is sort of cool hong kong disneyland this is interesting their jungle cruise is basically built around a version of rivers of america so so imagine rivers of america but it's really in adventureland with the jungle cruise going around it and on the island because you know tom sawyer is just not a part of their culture mark twain so around on their island is tarzan's treehouse 
Um, and then the the foliage and all that they should it's extraordinary. It's absolutely beautiful. They have Mystic Manor there at Mystic Point, so it's their version of the Haunted Mansion, and that's also where their Society of Explorers is. Yeah, in that park. I think I said earlier it was Tower Terror. That's Tokyo, um, Disney Sea. But um, so their Society of Explorers is there at the Mystic Manor. Okay. And so basically this area is there. So they called it Adventureland's little brother. Mm-hmm. Disneyland Paris is, is a very, very different. It's Arabian themed. Um, there's for in Paris, there's lot. There was lots of interest in fairy tales from the Far East. So Sinbad, um, Arabian Nights, they they have the. The, sort of the little byways like the Moroccan Pavilion at Epcot Center. Yeah. Um, they have uh, a, a, the Rockbird, Rockbird Egg in, in the parapets that's the from the Sinbad um, stories yeah. and all of that. Um, they, they did not um, – there they didn't want to copy the jungle – they didn't want to copy the jungle cruises and, you know, like some of the other uh, – international parks there's no culture for mark twain and tom sawyer there so um so there uh tom sawyer island became sort of a part of adventureland and adventure isle and it's pirate themed and it's very visual um since five languages are spoken in that park so there's a, a skull park cove or there's a pirate ship and it's gateways to um pirates of the caribbean um the Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse is there because there was no Tarzan uh-huh. uh, film when it when that park was built. Uh, Indiana Jones is on the back of the island. Uh, if you remember the original concept, I'm going to talk about this a little later. Uh, our Indiana Jones attraction design was supposed to be much grander. It was going to be three attractions in one and until they saw the budget. Yeah. Um, the troop transport mine car ride portion of that attraction was actually built in Paris, and um, so it's and, and so it's been criticized for lack of theming at times. Um, in order to make it more interesting, they'll sometimes run it backwards and forwards uh-huh, uh-huh. and all that. Now, since the Pirates of the Caribbean films had not been made yet, um, but they still wanted this area to be very different from Disneyland and Walt Disney World. So they and they wanted a second waterfall. So they reversed the attraction. So the pirates are in jail in the beginning of the attraction and then they're freed and then they then they go off marauding uh, the city and so then you go down into the tombs and um there they added um sword fighting audio animatronic figures okay so um now shanghai disneyland um they really want when designing this realm they wanted to capture waltz dedication speech of disneyland where uh, disneyland's adventureland which walt said here is adventure here is romance here is mystery tropical rivers silently flowing into the unknown the unbelievable splendor of exotic flowers the eerie sound of the jungle with eyes that are always watching this is adventureland so originally 
this land started out as two lands. They were going to have an adventure land and a frontier land. And they decided to drop frontier land and make a larger adventure land uh-huh. with um, Treasure Cove and Adventure Isle. And, and um, they also have the stunt shows. They also have a Camp Discovery Challenge Trail. It's the, with the largest man-made waterfalls. It has a raft ride. Um, there's a Tarzan stage show with um, Chinese acrobats, and there's a, a, an, a 30-foot-tall audio animatronic. It's like an Akasaurus or something they call it, mm-hmm. and uh, so there's a lot going on there. Um, they needed to make a new pirate sign. They wanted to make it different, uh, a completely brand-new place, so they, they reinvented Pirates of the Caribbean, and they called it Treasure Cove. And um, they did a much bigger presentation on it the next day. So I'm going to talk about that. But what do you think in Shanghai Disneyland is the most popular food? I have no idea. It's something that's (laughs) popular in almost all the Disney parks. The turkey leg. Oh, which okay. which I find inedible, but yeah. um, there is sometimes more than a two-hour wait for a turkey leg. I want to say I heard that before, and I just didn't believe it the last time I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you heard it here, so you can believe it, kids. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I know. Unbelievable. I wonder if they put some sort of different sauce or something on it. Anyway, but I'm not waiting two hours in line for a turkey leg. Uh, anyway, um, Shipwreck Shore they, is, it an, is an area within Treasure Cove. That it's a water play area. They have a stunt show here. There's a big pirate's galleon. I'm sure you've seen the the artwork in some of the films. for this. Yeah. Well, they had it at D23 Expo yep. Yep. and all that. And it's also in um, the Chinese Pavilion at Epcot Center. Yes. So, um, so more on that, and I'll get your thoughts in a bit. Um, they have the canoes, and <laughs> how long would you wait for a canoe ride at Disneyland? Uh, I love, the canoes. I love the canoes. I I love them. Maybe ten minutes, fifteen tops. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? Then don't don't paddle the canoes at Shanghai because <laughs> sometimes the wait is three hours long. That's ridiculous. Now, I don't know if it's because there is a lack of attractions at this park. Yeah. Um, what? But um, there are there are there are scenes and there's sounds from the caves. You can get wet because there are water cannons that, that the guests can shoot at you. So it's a completely different experience than than at Disneyland. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I I don't even now, know what to say about that. <laughs> Now, now the pirate ship there is is soon going to be a stunt show. It's currently um, a walkthrough. Okay. And and then they went into um, let's see, it was uh, Tales from the Jungle Cruise, and this was they said fans of the a backside of water unite, and it was what they talked about was some of the legendary history of world famous attraction. What it was is a panel of historians, skippers, and Imagineers who all shared um, their different stories. Yeah. And I didn't take too many notes on this. Um, the original Jungle Cruise, you, I'm sure you know this, Greg. It was very serious. Yes, yes. And it was based on the True Life Adventures. And, and Chris Merritt, who hosted this, he was a huge fan of Mark Davis. And he's currently um, writing a book 
um, about um, Mark Davis and his uh, time at um, Imagineering. And, and I think he's doing it with Pete Doctor. And anyway, so uh, so anyway, so there was a, they were working on a gorilla scene in there and there was also there, and there was going to be a crocodile. And so Mark Davis is such a master of staging. So th- in the African Velt, you know, so he had the gorilla hitting the crocodile. Yeah. Um, uh, the African Velt, Mark Davis made it larger, so that's why they added the cave because Walt wanted more audio animatronic figures in there. Um, apparently, in Hong Kong Disneyland's, it got a redo recently, and they added charms that interact with the temple that they oh. go through there. So, um, I mean, maybe that's something they'll someday do at you know d- uh, Magic Kingdom. Yeah, that sounds interesting. So, yeah. So it, for Hong Kong, the Jungle River cruise skippers must speak three languages. Um, there they have a fire and water finale. And they have, you know how we have the Jingle Cruise yeah. at both our parks? There at Hong Kong, they have a Halloween overlay Ooh. for their Jungle Cruise. Which I can't, I can't imagine what that would be, but it sounds intriguing. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I was going to say. It sounds intriguing. Yeah. Now, the jingle uh, – I wonder if it's on YouTube somewhere. I have to check. Everything's on the internet. Uh, the Jungle Cruise uh, – Jingle Cruise actually is um, now open on both coasts. They, they have – you know, like, you know, they have jokes for Christmas. They have jokes for rain uh, previously. Um, so they thought it would be cool to have a more Christmas-themed cruise. So they – since they're a remote outpost – they thought that the skippers would have to scrounge around for decorations, pull it together in a theme, especially because they were so homesick. Yeah. Um, so now the skippers canteen that just opened at, you know, in the Magic Kingdom over there, Walt Disney World, which I like the food. Yeah. But um, Carol, Carol would not. So anyway, so, you know, that's that's run by the Jungle Navigation Limited. It's um, the old Adventureland veranda that closed in the 1990s. And the backstory here is that this is the world headquarters for the Jungle Cruise Skipper and the um, canteen. And, and that is now open to the general public. Now, Alberta Falls, who is the daughter of Dr. Albert Falls, inherited it. And so it's run by the skippers. And at this point, what was funny is Dr. Albert Falls just suddenly walks across the stage and he just stops and says, what? And then he just keeps walking. Mm-hmm. So um, there, and of course, as you know, there's a, there's tributes to Skipper Mark, um, Harper and Bill, the Imagineers that worked yeah. on the original Jungle Cruise up on the second floor there. And they also have um, all kinds of treasures in there from the Falls family, as well as um, jungle artifacts. So that's a fascinating place to walk through and, and look at oh, yeah. it. So um, the overarching theme in there is family, but it's also the secret meeting room for the Society of Explorers and Adventurers. And so the library holds um, the most tributes of any theme park. So that's, again, another place where the Society of Explorers and Adventurers is going to be rolled out over in the Magic Kingdom. So they also mentioned, and I have this in my notes, and I don't know how I know, I don't know even know why I wrote this down, but Joe Rohde voices Dreamfinder. So uh, that was just a stray remark I 
Yes. Nope. Um, that was in... We actually have a video of that from uh, D23 2013. Um, mm. It was in this... Uh, it was in this little video that they did um, with Journey into the Imagination, and Joe Rohde was dressed up as the Dreamfinder for this video. I wonder did. if maybe they showed that clip, and I jotted it down so fast yeah, they, I didn't. That clip is. I have it uploaded on our Diz YouTube channel. So oh, good. That okay. The show notes. Just, take a look at it. Just since you mentioned it now. <laughs> oh, good. Well, now then we moved in, into Disney's Polynesian Resort, the 45th anniversary. So um, standing, so standing in front of the uh, Epcot Center map, Walt Disney World it does. They didn't say much about Walt Disney didn't say much about the themed resort area. You know, in that famous mm-hmm. film that that he did um, before he passed away. Yeah. Um, there were many ideas for the resorts. One that really stuck was a Polynesian themed resort. And Wilton Beckett, um, design who designed the Pan Pacific Center, that the uh, entranceway to Disney California Adventure and the Disney Hollywood Studios. It's based on that architecture. He designed um, Capitol Records. He was a designer for the New York World's Fair, and that's where Walt came across him. Um, uh, also, he designed. Well, he also did some earlier work for for Walt. Um, he was. He also designed the Contemporary and Polynesian Resorts. And they didn't have a name for the resorts, but Marty Scalar and John Hench liked the name Polynesian Village, and so it stuck. So the construction reflected the architecture of the future and of Walt's vision. So it was the first steel structure hotel. Everybody thinks it's the the contemporary, but it's really the Polynesian. And its rooms were also constructed um, off-site. Yes. And trucked in, and so uh, we they showed Wilton Beckett's um, concept art for the Poly, and how and some of its um, its lodge and, and the interiors. John DeCare Jr., who we talked about, you know, in a earlier episode, yeah. he he had a very modern futurist take for the Polynesian Resort. We saw some of his. Um, concept art for that he did work on on the resort as well um mary blair created all the textile designs and what her designs are very short-lived but they but they're being brought back um at the polynesian so we're going to start seeing more of those original designs rolled out um colin campbell's concept art um was shown for the tiki themed restaurant Originally, there there was there was a first level was um, there was a sea level. Second level was the Bayview level, and it was decorated by Oceanic Arts in Southern California, including all the um, signs that and that's for the the Polynesians Lodge there that we're talking about. The Polynesian Tiki designed was um, that that was um, designed by Wed. Um, Imagineering. It was based on a design on the shield, and then when they just redid the, uh, the Polynesian Resort, they brought back that tiki, yeah. and he's now in the lodge, which is nice. Um, rooms uh, were were um, twenty two to forty two dollars a night when it first opened, and so and the rooms were based on John DeCure's um, Junior's designs with Mary Blair's um, textiles, and then. 
later they were redesigned by Dorothea Redman, who of course did a lot of designs for Disneyland. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, po- Polynesian um, Eastern Winds boat was a floating lounge that they had for a while. They had the first rock slide pool, and then uh, of course the po- Are you a Beatles fan? Yes, I Great. am, and I know what you're so, about to say. Okay, well, tell us that the, the Polynesian figured in, in uh, prominently in, in Beatle lore. Yes, this is where uh, the final paperwork was signed by John Lennon breaking mm-hmm. apart the Beatles. Right, in good. the 1970s. That's right, and I'm, Yoko Ono was holding the pen, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... Um, Tangaroa Terrace was added later. That was designed by Dorothea Redman. Now, the original large glass lights that were there, and they showed photos of them, they're looking at bringing those lights back. And so, which would be very cool. And um, in 1978, the putting green was transformed into the quiet pool. And Rolly Crump's Tiki Garden, um, that was like... um, the, uh, Disneyland's Tiki Room entrance was added into this area. And uh, the 80s brought in more longhouses, mm-hmm. and the, the names were all changed to different islands, and the name was shortened from Polynesian Village Resort to Polynesian Resort. But of course, in the present, all things come back around. In 2015, it was rededicated. It was changed back to the original name. Yes. You know, we talked about the Polynesian tiki was brought back. The light, original light fixtures were restored. Um, new art was added. Uh, so, and then of course, Trader Sam's was included. Now yes. it's the 30s style at Disney at the Disneyland Hotel to go with the the style of our you know our Adventureland but it's the 70s style um at Walt Disney World there at the Poly and they have a lot I didn't realize they had a lot of interesting little artifacts there like the the tiki necklace that Greg Brady wore in the Hawaiian episodes of the Brady Bunch there's a I mean at, at both Trader Sam's it's you really have to find someone who works in there who knows mm-hmm. all these little secret hidden uh, mm-hmm. finds? Because you know anyone can walk in and like in Grog Grotto, for instance, and and see the Walt Disney picture right away, or the little hidden orange bird that's in there. You can find all that stuff easily, but there are a lot of other really oh, cool yeah, there's a- things all around there that you just you start talking to people. Find oh out. yeah, there's. You have you have things from Pete's Dragon in yours, the original. I mean, all kinds of stuff. Uh, of course, DVC added 300 studios in the longhouses, um, in the Bora Bora, and they added the Bora Bora bungalows. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mary Blair's artwork's been turned into tile work, wallpaper, and carpet. Um, they put the electric water pageant in the headboards, as I guess it's their kiss goodnight. Yes. Um, Kevin Kidney and Jody Daly artwork is above the bed. They showed us some of that. And there's um, Lilo and Stitch artwork in the hideaway bed. Yes. And so, um, and then, and then they brought out one of the original cast members, Auntie Kwai. She was in the, uh, the Polynesian show in Hawaii. And then Disneyland asked her boss for her to be a show at Disneyland. And she said no. Um, but, 
she was told her boss said that she should go. So she was in our Tahitian Terrace show and then came out to open the Polynesian Village Resort when they were first doing the show on the beach. And then, it, you know, then it was moved to the cove. Uh-huh. So she came out and shared a few stories. It's amazing. She still as lovely as ever. I think she's I don't know if they said she was 75 or something. And then she taught us all how to hula. Yeah. Yeah. So now, have you ever stayed at the Polynesian? Um, many times, actually. So. Oh, I, really? So now I I have always wanted to and never have. Yeah, I'd say so I've probably you, done about six or seven stays there over the years now. Oh, wow. so what are your memories I, of it? I mean, is is the hype all? It, does it live up to the hype people have for it? Um. <sighs> see, that's it, it. All depends on your your aesthetic, what you like. Um, over the years, I've found more and more that uh, that this Polynesian tiki culture actually is very relaxing and uh, very, very important in my life. So uh, I, I enjoy it for that reason. Um, and it's it's great for that reason. But then um, is that because of Trader Sam's? No, not even just that. <laughs> um, it's uh, it's mostly the music, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Just. It, it's soothing. It's soothing for me to hear it. So, and yeah, I mean, the drinks don't don't hurt anything. But uh, <laughs> no, I, I I just love I love that culture. It it absolutely fascinates me. And uh, you know, there there are problems with the resort. Uh, you know, the longhouses are amazing. The rooms are great. Everything about the view, the entire experience. But um, you know, it's uh, to nitpick it. Well central florida it can just rain for no reason at any time of the day and you know when you're paying deluxe prices and you have the potential to get stuck out in a thunderstorm uh, that's kind of irritating so that's why yeah, i but start to prefer fair. but that's yeah, authentic <laughs> it, it, it is but that's where i start to say oh no you know i might actually prefer something more like wilderness lodge where once you're there, you can just be hidden away. But no, I, I love Polynesian. Anytime I have the chance to stay there, I jump on it right away. Yeah, Carol and I are very excited that DVC's open suites. We're not staying in the Bora Bora ones, yeah. but um, we're looking forward to staying in, in the longhouses. They're beautiful. Uh, I've just always wanted to. Yeah. So. Um, finally, it was a Moana building a legend, and this was uh, hosted by... Um, Jared Bush, who was a co-director and co-screenwriter of Zootopia, and he was also the screenwriter for um, this film. And so he talked he talked about about it and uh, and, and showed some exclusive footage. So he uh, he wrote um, seven hundred drafts. It took five years to make. Um, you know, and John Musker and Ron Clements, uh, you know, of course were. The, the driving force behind it. Yeah. You can look for them in cameos at the beginning of the film, although they showed them and I didn't think it looked like them mm-hmm. at all. Um, anyway, um, John Lasseter um, set John and Ron and the artist to Oceana, uh, where they did research for the film. They met to meet with people at the islands, which is very common for Disney to do this. Um, they met with anthropologists, artists, tattoo artists, uh, storytellers, um, just anyone you can think of to tell to tell the so they could just absorb the culture and they called this the oceanic um story trust and they all collaborated on the script and every time they um 
would make changes to the script. They would send it to this story trust for their to get their thoughts and approval. Yeah, on it, and they teamed up with. Okay, you can. Pro, I'm sure you can pronounce this name better than I. Opa. I, I, uh, Foa is the last oh, name. Oh yeah, no, I, I still don't know how to say his name. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. So anyway. So they teamed up with all these three people, including, of course, Lynn Manuel Miranda, who we all know from Hamilton and all that. And so um, anyway, so they talked. So they talked about the music a bit. I love the music. I have the soundtrack and that I've listened to many times. Um, now, they also um, they also t- talked with the uh, they showed clips and all that of the actress that voices Moana, who was like 14 when she got the part. Yep. And in and, and she shared her experiences of being selected in. A, there's a little Easter egg in a village scene. Her mother, the actress's mother, says, you're doing a good job. So look for that. And every time I've seen the film, which is twice, I forget to look for that. So they so they went through the whole production process in this from uh, from script to storyboard to uh, review to animation to critiquing. I, I mean, to everything. So uh, it was really fascinating to walk through that. They talked about um, Pua, um, Moana's pet pig uh, and how adorable he is. He doesn't have enough time in the film. I think. Then, of course, the, the, the breakout star, Hey Hey. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was originally a jerk, a, a tough chicken, jerk chicken, a, a tough chicken. Um, he was super smart, but that type of character didn't service the story, and he was almost cut from the film. He got saved by making him just really super dumb. Yep. And they were so excited at that that they celebrated by going out and having fried fried chicken dinner. Mm-hmm. So then, um, so then they uh, they um, shared the opening sequence. There's a little clip of Eric Goldberg, who's a supervising animator of Maui. And um, have you seen Moana yet? Yes, I did see it. So, so what do you think? I really enjoyed the movie. I loved it a lot, actually. So uh, hoping to get a chance to see it at least once more while it's still in theaters. Uh, but no, I, I I loved everything about it. Yeah, I did too. I thought it was very well done. I, I didn't think I was going to enjoy it, but uh, I really did. And and like I said, I love the music. Oh yeah, no. so um, all around just spectacular. Yeah, I could see this being a very good stage show to replace Frozen at Disney <laughs> California Adventure with, because you've seen Aladdin, the the stage yes, version, I, California I Adventure, yeah. and how the genie was sort of the wisecracking contemporary. Oh yeah, Maui person. would be Maui exactly. Yeah. And so, okay, Disney, if you're listening, <laughs> this is just an idea free of charge to yep. you, yep. because you've got to get that Frozen thing off the stage because it's not doing you any good creatively but anyway in my humble opinion yeah but anyway but i think a moana one with the wisecracking maui it's basically the genie in another form would be be good hilarious so um anyway and then finally we were supposed to go to an evening at disney's polynesian village resort for a special celebration of the 45th anniversary of Disney's Polynesian Village Resort, this ended up being a sneak preview of Moana yes. on the beach. And we got in there and we um, 
we got it was some popcorn concoction and we got free drinks you could get adult drinks if you cared to pay for them and there were other activities for the children and stuff like that and then they had a some guy that was from the Disney Channel who hosted it, I, I think he read virtually everything off a cue card, including oh. Welcome to the Polynesian Resort Village, Village Resort. I mean, everything. Yeah. He was entertaining. They had giveaways and trivia contests and all that. So it was fun. Moana made a um, special appearance. Yep. Yeah. Which is very nice and all that. And I think you saw it later for a different event, right? I did. I saw it uh, the next day when they did it. Uh, they invited media and Disney Parks blog uh, readers out to it. So I got to see same exact setup. And uh, I, I was just lucky enough that I got to also meet Moana. But that was just a small group of us that got to see her first. Mm-hmm. So well, it, it, it and I it was just all done. I was I was impressed with the good quality of how well it was projected oh, and the sound. And I that. completely agree. I was very nervous about watching a movie out on a beach. That mm-hmm. it turned out to be wonderful. So yeah, minus and the then, awful cold weather that kind of went through um, that weekend. <laughs> yeah, and then we watched the um, fireworks yes. from, from the yeah. Magic Kingdom, and, all. and that was it for day one. So long day. It was. Now, Sunday, the next day, after getting very little sleep, uh, it started out with um, – have you seen that book, It All Started With a Map? Yes, I, I actually to, have that. So so do I. Well, they basically – they had a panel, and all it was was a giant commercial for the book. Um, Walt loved maps. Um, he had maps in his office. He always lit up when he saw maps. That was about the only thing I got out of this. The rest of it was, what's your favorite map? Oh, I like this. What's your favorite? You know, they, they went to, anyway, it, it we'll just move on. Um, <laughs> but get the book. book. Yeah, it's a very good book. Yeah, I enjoy the book. It's a great reference. Yeah. Um, only thing I wish they included was uh, the actual 60th anniversary map for Disneyland. Which yeah, is, there were a couple things lacking in there where they say substituted concept art for maps. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for some of the parks. And otherwise, it's it's a, a very handsome book. Yeah. Uh, the next thing that they had was New Walt Disney World Adventures. It was you got an insider's glimpse into the latest experiences across Walt Disney World. And they had your um, resort ambassadors there, Caitlin Busher, however she says her name, yeah. and uh, Nathaniel Palma. Yeah, and then they had entertainment show director Tom Vizana and Wyatt Winter. Yeah, and this sort of started out slow, but it picked up speed. Um, they talked about okay. There's a lot of spoiler alerts, but you know what? It's after the holidays, so <laughs> oh well. Um, Disney Hollywood Studios. They talked about Jingle Bell, Jingle Bam, with the entertainment show director. Um, you know, t- Tom Vizana. Have you? You know, you've seen the show because you've filmed it. Yeah. And all. Yeah. Have you have you um, enjoyed it? Um, I enjoy Tom more than I enjoy that show. Uh, I'll say <laughs> really? that. So. So, oh, I love the show. Um, but I I don't know. I think because it was so nostalgic and Christmassy, yeah. I liked it better than the Star Wars. I I don't mind. I don't mind the story. Um, I am actually a huge fan of Prep and Landing. I think they're really a uh, they're really cute holiday specials, um, mm-hmm. and I love that they pulled so many 
good classic clips from Disney animated specials, Nightmare Before Christmas, all that. My problem is that you you shouldn't build build something as a holiday fireworks show and then just not bring the fireworks. And I agree. Um, that's, Absolutely. That left a sour taste in my mouth from the beginning and hasn't really gone away. That's a trend in that park, though. Yeah. Um, I felt there weren't enough fireworks for the Star Wars one. Now, whatever – and I can't remember what it was. Whatever they did, the show prior to the Star Wars one, I thought was really good. And that was very short-lived for some reason. It had the right amount of projections and fireworks. And the fireworks are getting progressively less. And I'm really worried that basically – projections are going to replace fireworks yeah. and from what i've been told it's they are going back and forth trying to find that delicate balance between uh between how much projections can we show that people are still happy with it and how little fireworks can we show that people are still happy with it and i think they're they're finding out a lot of interesting uh, aspects to it but uh, we'll see We'll see what happens with the the next shows on down the line. I, I, they're looking for a cheap way out because fireworks are expensive. And exactly, we live in a different world of cutting budgets now. Exactly, exactly. Um, well, uh, t- well, the neat thing about this is they showed, they projected the show, not as good as the quality video you did for the Diz, mm-hmm. but and then they and then Tom narrated the whole thing. There, there are tributes to Mary Blair and Osborne Lights in this. Um, the elves, of course, Prep and Landing, Wayne and Lanny, are looking for Santa. And one of the things we realize is Santa watches us through the snow globes. And if you remember in the orig- at the end of the original Prep and Landing, um, that's how they see Timmy yeah. enjoying his bike. Well, they expanded on that. So if you have snow globes in places you don't want Santa watching, I'd move that <laughs> snow globe, kids. <laughs> so um, anyway, there are three themes in this show, cheer, snow, and family gatherings. And they took these themes from different film clips and all that. There are 60 snow machine for this. And I love the uh, the metallic laser effect that they did. Yeah, you know, with that the the metallic snow, it was, I, I thought that was cool. Um, the music is recorded with sixty piece orchestra and um fourteen live voices, and basically the 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 theme of it is they can't find Santa. Santa's going to talk to all of us in Orlando. They can't find him, so they go into a cranberry red situation. And I'm sure this is just a coincidence that there's also a new drink that was featured, the cranberry red. Yep. So um, anyway, and so Lanny um, has to drop, you know, a sparkle ornament that puts all the kids and dogs asleep. And he gets loopy and introduces traditional music um, with a Pixar section. And that's sort of the, the warm, fuzzy moment of the show. And then it's, um, you know, through the years, you know, we'll always be together. Um, and then there's that couple from Up and that's tom put that in as a homage to his parents and it ends with um jack and sally and here's a spoiler alert kids um lanny realizes who has kidnapped santa 
And um, and Th- Thrasher flies to Halloween Town and goes deep into Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. And the neat thing is they re-recorded um, Kenny Page's voice, who voiced Oogie Boogie, and he sang Oogie Boogie's voice again, which is yeah, really cool. That is. And of course, they they uh, Wayne and Lanny find that Santa's in a big bag. And so they um, they use the night vision to rescue Santa and Thrasher flies us all to the North North Pole. And there's a a big new large um, effect that goes across the building. And now the interesting thing is when Santa talks, since Lanny and Wayne are so short, they only see Santa, you know, sort of from the shoulders down. That's all we see of Santa as well. And so it ends with rocking around the Christmas tree. And then basically they release everything. And that's the jingle bell, jingle bam, Christmas sink, mm-hmm. as they call it. And um, the neat thing is then there's that big um, Christmas tree that's displayed. And because the official tree for the park is outside the gate, they leave this Christmas tree on so that people can then take um, photos of themselves in front of the yeah. tree inside the park and so that was nice so that was the first this was this section was all was different segments the next segment they talked about the power of storytelling and how disney makes um and an an emotional connection with us through the power of story with its guests so they talked about frozen ever after and the royal summer house was inspired by norway and so they had the lead imagineer um wyatt um winter was out there or uh, yeah anyway and so they, they he went through the um storyboards and they talked about um what would start the show? And originally they thought it would be Kristoff and Sven, but then they decided Olaf would be the narrator, and then they settled on Sven and Olaf. Mm-hmm. That's why they recur throughout the attraction. Yeah. Um, they made a model to determine the scale of the figures and how they would translate from um, the screen to real figures. And then they, um, through digital models, they, they worked to see how they would work. And then they did CG um, sort of renderings uh, of the features. And they did everything with CG from the animation rig to um, to the machinery rig. Then they showed us uh, the CG of Elsa in progress. This is the first time everything was done electronically yeah. for an attraction. Now, the summer house or house is based on a real building in Norway. And so this is where then I became more impressed with yeah. the attraction. All the interiors and furniture are based on real buildings and homes. Um, everything in the pavilion is authentic. Much of it is an exact copy or it's slightly modified um, just with some hints to the films. And then, of course, outside on the stone, there's a tribute to Maelstrom. In there, you know, the you are not the first to pass here, nor will you be the last. It's out there. I think people sort of walk by that. Yeah. And everything. So so I was really impressed. They showed uh, they showed um, like photos of the original, the authentic buildings and furniture and all that of the places they went to in Norway. And then they showed the recreations for the pavilion. And there were times you couldn't tell the difference. So, so again, including even the shop um, and the decor and the stories that the shop tells, 
that that encircles the interior of the story of the shop and all that. I mean, really impressive work. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, you know, they they definitely made an effort to continue the Norwegian culture. It's not all frozen. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I thought I wish they had done more was a little more of connecting maybe the the attraction itself to Norwegian storytelling or Hans Christian Andersen or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Like in the beginning of the attraction or something. Anyway, the next segment was Magic Journeys, 45 Years of Walt Disney World Adventures. Yeah, we're talking about that still. Um, they talked about 43 Miles of Adventures. <clears throat> times 45 years of adventures equals 1,935 square miles of adventures. Uh, no. they, they talk about types of adventures in this land, sea, sky, and space. So um, so they talked first about Mr. Toad and how he um, defines adventure. There were dual tracks. They wanted the um, – they, they anyway, they – they wanted, you know, he, he sort of, they, they wanted Pooh, though. And so they, of course, li- he lives he lives on in um, Winnie the Pooh. And they talked about how there's, he, he also lives on in the town hall and the pet cemetery yeah, and things yeah. like that. So they talked about the old Fort Wilderness Railroad, how the train became ticket kiosks at Pleasure Island and the water parks. Um, Adventures at Sea talked about Discovery Island. When Walt flew over, you know, we talked about this, and Walt flew over Bay Lake, the island convinced Walt to purchase the property and develop it because uh, for the theme park area. And um, and did you ever – I don't think you're old enough. You never went on Discovery Island when it was sort of a preserve, right? Oh, yeah, I did. Um, oh, you did? Oh, okay. I had at least one or two trips uh, where I went on Discovery Island. So um, – I just remember a lot of birds. That's all I yeah. really remember. Yeah, there were there were a lot of critters on there. Yeah, Carol and I on our honeymoon went on that. So they talked about Nunes Beach and the Wave Machine, and and of course because you know Dick wanted to you know have surfing. Oh yeah. You know over at the Polynesians, so they turned it off because it eroded the beaches. Now, but and people thought, oh well, you know they never really intended it to fix it they had a phase two and there was going to be a cove that was going to be enclosed and there was going to be a granite reef and um and the a whole surfing area there was going to be a parking lot so they were really serious about having surfing yeah but it, it just didn't work out they talked about adventures in the in sky one of the i think one of the cutest attractions they had there was if you had wings um and you know it was free um it was uh, an eastern airlines you know sort of yep. um conceived attraction and they showed the model and and buzz lightyear uses the exact same layout and they showed the storyboards it was all designed by claude Coates, and it w- it became dream flight and they say this was the predecessor to soren so so what do you think about that uh, I I don't know if I'd super agree with that, but uh, when when it was in its latest iteration, at Delta Dream Flight, I, it was one of my favorites. So I was obsessed with it for some reason. No idea mm-hmm. why. <laughs> I, I, everybody was. I, I loved it. Everybody loved it. Yeah, I know. So, I just and it was a very simple. Oh, yeah. Attraction. I have the fondest memories for it. Uh, 
I, I think I enjoyed it for a lot of the same reasons why I enjoyed uh, why I enjoyed the original iteration of Journey into Imagination. Just mm-hmm. charming, simple, and uh, not not super long lines. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, and then their adventure in space, Space Mountain. The theme they said is like if you had wings, but this is a spaceport. But it shows places you can go through in the galaxy. It has signs of places you can go to, to like um, Mesa Verde, you know, Pluto, uh, things like that. Um, they had scenes of you know, like camping in a hover tent, and um, and then they showed a video of Figment from um, ImageWorks hmm. as well. So that was the end of that. Then we got into some very exciting stuff. We got into Pandora, the world of Avatar. And, of course, James Cameron, writer, producer, and director, was there. Joe Rohde was there. Um, John Landau, the producer, uh, was supposed to be there, but he um, was a no-show. Okay. So they talked about the land. So. First, they had a person called Marshall Lamb with Alpha Centauri Expeditions. They had a video of that. And what the interesting take on this was that Joe Rohde and James Cameron talked about Pandora as if this were a real place, a real destination. So that put off people, some people, just yeah. a bit. I thought it was interesting that they're, they're carrying on with this show and with this theme yeah. and all that. So um, – they said that they're they're working together for five years to do the engineering, the service design, and storytelling of Pandora. They see Avatar as a documentary of a war, and that is in the past. And and the war is over, but uh, and now Pandora is able to and the Navi they can now welcome people to experience the nature of Pandora, and that is basically the backstory for this land and they showed photos of the area uh, they talked about how there's going to be there's multiple habitats in pandora swamps forests floating mountains um the the unobtainium which sounds like something out of rocky and bullwinkle um <laughs> causes mountains to float and and they went into whole, this whole thing about the meisner effect and all that and how it's only found in pandora and that's why these mountains can float i mean they really they really yeah they dug deep into this um anyway but however because of the war as chronicled in that documentary avatar um the pandora is not pristine there's old buildings there's crashed warships things like that that we will encounter um they talked about how the banshees involved are like um flying fish but they're ridden by the navi and guests will get to experience this and interact with the banshees through avatars and and also we'll get closer to the Navi experience. So from um, link to flights, that this flight is a passage that we're going to do with a um, Navi guide um, over the Pandora landscape. And the whole pro- purpose of this program is to rehabilitate um, Pandora's habitat. So there's a Pandora Conservation Initiative, and they're trying to contain this um, Velocifungus. This is a fungus-eating microbe, and so um, that they're using to sort of clean up 
to deal with cleaning up the planet. And so the whole theme of conservation of the Pandora habitat, they, they're they connecting to, the, to um, how uh, conservation of the earth. And so throughout this new land, we're going to see parallels between earth and Pandora. Now, the Navi, they don't use metals because they don't want they want to be in harmony with nature so they don't cut things down they weave so everything means something so this weaving it it's it's not just an art it's also storytelling and symbolic um in its meaning so of course at the gift shop wind traders you'll be able to buy some of their their weaving um you know items yeah. there's also a restaurant called um ponga ponga it's going to be there. Um, and the, he talked a bit about the food. It is going to be um, very unique and all that. So, and, and things like that. So that, again, going with the theme of Pandora. Then they called the Sati Lee Canteen. This is going to be, feature Navi art and a restaurant. It's, it's basically the old commissary um, Quonset hut. Um, they talked about the, what also is unique is the bioluminescence to this planet that we can see only at night. So we're, we can see it, though, via a boat ride because we're going to be able to go through a bioluminescent forest. Yeah. And that is where we're going to encounter the Shaman of Song. Um, and they showed the audio animatronic figure of the video of this, which I know then um, – they released and it was shown on the Diz. This is amazing. So I, I thought it was a person. Yeah. So um, anyway, and we're going to see how the shaman of um, through this song, how the forest and the animals respond to the shaman. And then um, the Navi, they said, connects to all nature spirit spiritually. And this is something that they're going to teach us as we experience Pandora. So, um, and this is where uh, we got the um, gift of, of the posters of Pandora. So, I know, now, what, what are your thoughts? I, I was very critical of this whole concept of this land at Animal Kingdom. So, what are your thoughts? Um, about it? Yeah, I, I do think that the animatronic is extremely impressive. Um, mm-hmm. It's mesmerizing. Um, I just... Uh, I, I don't like the source material that it's all being based on. Um, it's I, I do understand that Avatar was a very popular film, and you know it made a lot of money, but it just isn't that good. Um, and you know, it's I, I think it's just going to be a constant argument between Disney fans on. If it's a good movie, if it's a bad movie, if it'll make a good land, if it'll make a bad land, um, it's just, it, it doesn't appeal to me. That doesn't mean I won't give it any chance, um, because I will, and I'll go in there with a fresh, uh, non-judging mind on it. I I, I just, I, I don't, I'm not excited about it. There's, yeah. there's nothing that will get me excited about Avatar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm more looking forward to this world they're creating. The film, I didn't. I agree. I didn't think it was very good. It disturbs me that Disney's basing this whole realm on a film that basically children can't see. Yeah, 
because it's so violent and, yeah. and other aspects of some oh, adult yeah, themes. And, um, but the actual environment they're creating, I find really intriguing. So I'm, I'm looking, I'm sort of looking forward to it. Yeah. And that's, uh, I'm hoping that they will be able to take the concept art and translate it as, as well as possible into the real world. So there was one day that I was lucky enough to be uh, driving backstage at Animal Kingdom and got to see some glimpses uh, of it. Uh, I mean, still very heavy into the construction phase, phase but uh, it, there, uh, there was definitely some promise there. I, I mm-hmm. will say that. So um, we, I agree. So I, I am looking forward to it. You know, let's hope that it's going to be interesting to see the next two films that come out and you know just how they do and how they connect to this realm are they popular what happens if they're not at some point i think this this pandora land of avatar is going to have to stand on its own apart from the films yes i agree wholeheartedly Mm -hmm. um we took a little break and on this break we got to see remember i talked yes on yesterday about uh the uh how transportation is supposed to be magical and functional we saw the prototype of the sorcerer bus one uh and, and i posted a video yeah i saw that of it online and basically this is a bus that i think if you're going to the park would be very exciting. I think at the end of a very long, frustrating day, will be less so. Um, but um, it, it's it's a bus where basically there's synchronized light and sound, and some of it, it which I don't know how you would see it in the day. T- well, we saw it in the daytime, and it seemed to work. And one version that I didn't get to record much of was um, they they played like Under the Sea and the, I think the theme from Enchanted, How You Know He Loves Me. They, they played yeah. uh, Beauty and the Beast. So some of it was music. The part I recorded was more the commercial side of it. It was like oh, you're coming to the Magic Kingdom and there was like a promo for Mickey's very scary Halloween party, whatever it's called, and and things like that. And so there are different loops and but it was very intriguing. I asked them, okay, what about you know this? You know, people that have a, a form of epilepsy that's triggered by light, yeah. and and a few other things. I asked. They said that they worked with. Um, it's a form of light. That, I mean, they worked with specialist doctors and all that. This light supposedly does not trigger yeah. Um, yeah. an epileptic reaction. Also, there was a whole issue about children who might be and adults who might be on the autism spectrum um they said again that is something they addressed and they even had families come on board the bus and that children on the spectrum actually found it soothing and um so again i think it's in the in the type of lighting they use and and all that so this was just to gauge our reaction they said there are no buses currently in production yeah for it but it was an interesting concept oh absolutely yeah now so, some of the um, some of the other videos and pictures i saw from it were very very intriguing mm-hmm. yeah i and i could definitely see like disney cruise lines using this absolutely yes you know coming back you know uh, and um disney magical express mm-hmm, using mm-hmm. this and stuff like that so anyway um um, Don Hahn then started doing a, a, a fun thing. He started to show um, video clips, like the the trailers from 
different uh, live action adventure films Disney did. So this first one he showed was from Treasure Island, one of my all time favorites um, by Disney. So anyway, so and and so that was a theme sort of throughout that he he would do, and and it was always humorous, whatever yeah, he had to yeah. say. The next, the next segment was the art and adventures of Mark Davis, um, and this was from Walt Disney Imagineering senior production designer Chris Merritt, who I mentioned earlier. He's doing a book on Mark Davis at WED with Pete Docter from Pixar. Uh, Mark Davis's second career was at WED because people might be horrified to think about this, but Walt really considered shutting down feature animation. Because it was getting so expensive, yeah. the return was a little less. So, um, so basically, um, he got transferred over to Wed um, as Walt, was, Walt wanted to keep Mark, and so he, uh, but he didn't have anything to give him to do. So, in but Mark actually did work on the theme parks much earlier in 1954. Mark worked on the Gardens of the Gods for Disneyland. Um, they also showed photos um, of the Penthouse Club members going to Disneyland at a pre-opening party two weeks before it opened. And that was sort of the elite club for the people in the uh -huh. upper echelons at the studio. Um, like I talked about earlier, he designed the elephant bathing pool. And Mark was able to bring humor and tell a story with his characters and how he staged them. They showed a really interesting video that they found recently of Mark um, leading art classes on design theory hmm. and um they also had a lot of they found a lot of personal photos of mark and alice davis when they were going through mark's office his office is it looks like he just stepped out of it yeah and all that's interesting um he tried to design different gags for the florida um attractions like for instance on the jungle cruise there were burping uh, man-eating plants on the Jungle Cruise. Uh -huh. They got replaced later with um, large frogs, but they lasted less than a year. But the sound that they made was left on for years and years. Huh. So um, they found rough sketches of uh, and final designs of the tiki birds, including some really odd birds that looked like they almost would come out of the Alice in Wonderland films. But um, Mark designed a drum playing tikis as monkeys originally in the for the tiki room yeah. but roly crumps um changed them and so when when um mark was designing the your the walt disney world's magic kingdom version of the tiki room um he stayed with roly's design for that uh for interesting one of the when in designing the magic kingdom's haunted mansion there was a character called um squeaky ghost that Mark had designed, and you get there. They showed a photo of Mark, and his just drawing of Squeaky Ghost is in the background, and all that. So, so they found a Mark's notes of the Wax Museum walkthrough, Pirates of the Caribbean, along with his drawings that were used in the old Pirates of the Caribbean guidebook. Disneyland used to have separate guidebooks for a couple of its e-ticket attractions, like Pirates of the Caribbean and It's a Small World. Uh -huh that had a lot of the concept art and things like that in it. And I have those. So, oh, cool. um, which is cool that I bought when I was a boy. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, um, Mark wanted, um, female pirates in pirates of the Caribbean. 
So they showed some of his drawings for that. And so for the end of Pirates of the Caribbean at Florida's Magic Kingdom, Mark wanted a new scene. He didn't like the Disneyland version of the ride where it ended at the bottom of, you know, the waterfall going, you're going up the waterfall as Walt Disney described. So he designed that whole ending scene differently. So, um, Anyway, he also designed a haunted shack attraction for Fort Wilderness. Um, For folks who live in Northern California, that's similar to the mystery spot in Santa Cruz. And Knott's Berry Farm for years had a haunted shack as well. So um, anyway, also he worked on the American Experience. He, though, wanted it designed as an Omnimover attraction where you'd go through the highlights of American history like um, Lewis and Clark and Admiral Richard Byrd and Neil Armstrong, things like that. So very different from what it became. And, of course, we've talked about, you know, we've referred to the Western River Expedition and and on previous episodes and uh, Mary Blair was the color stylist for Western River Exhibition, and it got so close to production before it got canceled. Yeah. I mean, it was really, really too bad. And um, but another now, this I'd never heard. You know, our dinosaur scene in on our Disneyland Railroad. Yes. Mark wanted to replace those with Kachina dolls. Um, so we, they showed a lot of artwork and the front and ear projections with the live action dolls that Mark wanted to put in because he felt that fit in better with the theme of that segment of the train. No, the, and Mark collected the dolls. Well, that well. makes no sense to me, but <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, he also had designed a um, Silly Symphony attraction and a Ray Bradbury attraction with uh, Monsanto. Oh. So, so it was a it, it, so it was interesting. I'm looking forward to this book coming out. Yeah, no, I I will have to add that to uh, my wish list once it. Yeah, can... yeah. The next one was the Imagineering Adventure. This was sort of a two part segment um mm-hmm. it was with um tony baxter and luke maynard uh they talked about uh well the theme of it really was how imaginers bring adventures disney experiences the life so they looked at various attractions yeah um they 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 started out switzerland in 1958 while disney was in switzerland you know working on the film third man on the mountain another excellent live action film walt wanted an iconic mountain in disneyland and um walt was more interested in the backstory than in the great technology so um and so that's how the matterhorn you know ended up at disneyland they talked about the three great drivers to start ideas and 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 then you have to build the consensus and it was timing uh, was the first one so the submarines at disneyland was an example um they they finally were able you know they they had tried after the submarines closed and there were various excuses but it's mainly budget um because it was the paul Pressler era that i'm starting to talk about in our disneyland show um they there were different they were trying to bring back the subs, but, you know, Atlantis wasn't the hit they thought it was going to be and all that. But finally, they had a hit with Finding Nemo. So the timing was right. They were able to bring back the submarine attraction. Yep. Um, the park needs Pirates of the Caribbean at 
Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom was satisfying a need. Um, guests really wanted that attraction there, which killed off Western River Expedition. Um, and then new technology, uh, you know, trying to get new technology into production as soon as possible. So, for instance, simulator technology was brand, was new. They used it in order to create the Star Tours attraction. Yeah. So, um Timing, you know, we talked about Pirates of the Caribbean and a big Thunder Mountain Railroad sort of killed the Western River expedition, but it left a big plot of land available in um, the Magic Kingdom. So Splash Mountain was dropped in. Um, Disneyland then wanted it, so it was flipped. So, uh, for the, and we're talking about now Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. Um, so it's the opposite and it's smaller. And ours is based on Bryce. Um, canyon rather than monument valley uh-huh. um and we and we ours they had to add in coyote valley in order to separate it from Fantasyland. because if you've never been to disneyland you know it is right there <laughs> next uh-huh. to Fantasyland. Uh-huh. um space mountain was um was added in because uh big thunder mountain railroad sort of pushed it off but Big Thunder Mountain Railroad in Disneyland opened first, so there's all this juggling with timing. Now, at Disneyland, Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse had finally reached the end of its life. and But Tony Baxter really wanted to save it because they were just going to pull it out. And so he proposed to Michael Eisner to build Tarzan's Treehouse because that film had just come out. And so, um, so or it was about to come out. So they opened it. The Monday before the film was released, the theaters. Yeah. So then the next one is park needs. At Disneyland, only two percent of guests went to Bear Country, where um, the Country Bears was the only attraction. Um, America Sings was finally closing. Dick Nunes had been bugging Imagineering for a flume ride because that was like the the attraction opening up in theme parks around the country. So based. So Splash Mountain got based on Song of the South because those audio animatronic figures could sort of be translated into that film and repurposed. Yeah. And the cool thing is Mark Davis had also worked on Song of the South. Yes. And he worked on Splash Mountain. So the AA figures that didn't work there um, were sort of put in that big triumphant finale scene yeah. on the riverboat. And all that. So now Discoveryland, it was, um, you know, it was the first, it was, since it was in a non American park, it was decided to base it on the great thinkers to celebrate, um, you know, where um, without dreams we have no reality of the future. So this land was, um, it celebrated the European thinkers like Jules Verne, H.G. Wells. You know, they had Visionarium, they had the Nautilus, and that created the uh, also handled the problem of Tomorrowland becoming outdated by the time it was yeah. open. So now we have the other driver, number three, new technology Indiana Jones Adventures. Um, Originally, it, this was going to be three attractions. The Jungle Cruise was going to go through it. There was going to be that troop transport um, attraction that currently exists. Yes. Then there was that mine car roller coaster we talked about. And then even the Disneyland Railroad was going to roll through it. 
So oh, technically okay. there were four yeah. attractions in one. And then that was until the budget came through. And then they focused on the troop transport net simulator. So they had to figure out a way, okay, how can you have this going downstairs, going off the edge of a cliff, going over rickety, you know, bridges and going over bricks and all that stuff and climbing go, and having, um, you know, crumbling rocks and all that stuff. Did you know that, and I've talked about this effect on the Disneyland show, uh, when it first opened there, when you were going across the bridge and all that, there was a, an effect where um, there were falling rocks. It was yes. the falling bricks of the temple. And what it was is it was, um, they had giant freezers on top of the building that froze and colored giant um blocks of ice and then they'd fall into the water where they then the water is supposed to be pumped back up again well the problem is the ice froze the lake yes yeah <laughs> in there and so that was the end of that but this was the first um enhanced um you know motor vehicles yes and all that and the prototype car was called the thor vehicle so um and and, and they did they um they talked about uh, Eddie Soto's quote that, you know, fear minus death equals thrill. Hmm. So um, anyway, so th the other the other example, then it's sort of the part two of this was a world of pirates. Luke um, Maynard went through this. They talked about uh, Shanghai Disneyland's area of um uh, you know, of uh, that Pirate Cove area, how um, the great pirates ride and stunt shows. So it's basically, it was going to be, um, it's a galleon on a track with a, uh, the original concept on a track with a live pirates jumping on and off the boats. And there's going to be a large town all inside a building. And it ended up becoming two shows. So they built a whole new land and village with new vignettes. There's a restaurant um, Barbarossa's bounty, um, you know, and then upstairs there's they, they, there's going to have gags and all this kind of stuff. So it morphed into an attraction in a stunt show. And so in the stunt show, they have this fight where there's a typhoon and there's this wind tunnel and actors are doing their own stunts. And it's an amazing sort of stunt show kind mm -hmm. of thing. And, um, Pirates of the Caribbean Battle for the Sunken Treasure is a 10-minute ride. It's a huge, um, epic show. It's just a continuous story. Have you seen the video for this? I've watched bits and pieces of it. I don't want to watch the full thing, just on the off chance that I make it there someday. But, you know, I've seen animatronics in action, some of the effects. Yeah, I've watched this, and it's impressive. Um, you know, the boats are on silent magnetic motors, so, and they don't bunch up. Mm -hmm. They can mm -hmm. and, and they can move front, back, sideways. There's 23 boats in all. Um, they're all named. Um, there's 30 people per boat. Uh, they did a whole CGI of this for scale, and then the mock-ups, and then they began construction um you know, they did screen capture of the actors who were also the animators. And then they had to go back and do um, separate shots for all the um, different elements yes, yeah. of it. Yeah. So so it was amazing what went into this. They have two Jack Sparrow audio animatronic figures and a Davy Jones figure. They're the most advanced AA figures in an attraction to date. So there is an 80-piece orchestra 
to um, record the music. The, the neat thing is they did a uh, water ceremony, and so they got water from each pirate to the Caribbean attraction around the world and poured it into the flume to connect all the attractions. So um, anyway, but, but the, it's a very cool attraction. I'm looking forward to, yeah. to seeing this someday. Not, uh, not much longer for you. Yeah, October 2017. So, um, anyway, Don Hahn then came out and showed a trailer from Island at the Top of the World. Have you ever seen that film? I don't believe I have, actually. Um, oh, it's... I Actually, no. I have it on my DVR. It was on one of the last treasures from the Disney vaults. Um, mm-hmm. But I still haven't gotten around to actually watching it. Oh, it's a hoot. Yeah? Oh, yes, you have to watch it. The effects are... Um, quite stunning yeah no i i know i have it on my dvr from that i just haven't watched it yet and then and then they um the next thing was they focused on animal kingdom and dr scott terrell who's the director of animal science and operations there talked about guiding the animals through change how you know the park is going through a transformation and um you know with the brand new evening experiences at disney animal kingdom and i know the question i first had was you know the reason the park closed so early was because of the animals Mm -hmm. and so now all of a sudden it's staying open late with you know noisy attractions and going out onto the um you know, having the little safaris on the savannah in the evening and all that. So, you know, the core question to all this was how will animals respond to new nighttime experiences in Animal Kingdom? So, you know, what is, so, you know, the question is, what is animals' welfare and an animal's physical, mental, and emotional state? And how is it measured, you know, from poor to good? So, you know, and it's based on science. It's based on observation. There's all kinds of things that they take into consideration. So they conducted an animal welfare study at Animal Kingdom. And what they did is they chose specific animals, and they monitored them during the construction phases of all the new areas um, during rehearsal of those shows and then during the operations of new events and they watch the animals for their responses to light to sound to motion and they tracked um their physical uh, responses their behavioral measurements um and the zookeepers assessments who knew the animals best and then they would receive monthly updates showing um the dates and the the changes in the animals and so based on that, they made changes to the animal's um, environment, to uh, just putting up sound buffers, doing all kinds of things. Uh, for the animal kingdom, the lightscape, uh, you know, for going through that evening, you know, safari, they, they had to take into account the um, circadian rhythms of the animals, the seasonal patterns, their, um, their resting behavior. Um, the space use. So they made sure that all the animals were provided with dark areas so that they could get away from light and sound. And, and they had to take into consideration guests viewing. Although the one time I did the nighttime safari, I didn't see a whole lot of animals. No, um, never. <laughs> so we saw a few. We did see a lion out there. Yeah, no, there, um, there are some animals out there, yeah. but, uh, but it's mostly dead silence. Yeah, most had retreated to the dark areas. We could see them. So um, 
you know, in lurking around in there. Um, Now, not all sounds are the same. So they had to do things to reduce the sound, um, to block the transmission of the sound. In some cases, they moved animals to quieter areas on the savannah and in the park. And they also created sound sanctuaries um, for the animals. So, uh, so it's, you know, so they, they took all of this very seriously as they should. Yeah. So, um, and then, then of course, then we had to meet a couple of animals. They brought out a vulture and who seemed to be very happy to meet everybody. Then they brought out Willie the aardvark who um, was not quite so happy. They said he was very, these are very secretive and very nighttime animals. Willie wanted to sleep. Willie did not want to come out of his enclosure, and um, but he ultimately did, and he looked around for a little while and went right back in. So um, anyway, but it was interesting to see Nardvark that close. Yeah. Um, and then they talked about Disney's Animal Kingdom um, evolving a new species of theme park. Joe Rody came back out and he talked about the differences really between creating a magic kingdom and creating an animal kingdom. Joe Rody could read – it's that old saying. He could read from the phone book and make it fascinating. Hmm. He is just so passionate about – whatever he talks about it's just he's mesmerizing yeah, yeah. see so he talked about until animal kingdom opened the theme parks were defined by the enchanting stories of the magic kingdom um but in animal kingdom the animals are never the same they are not predictable so uh Animal Kingdom has to have the same qualities as the live animals. So he took that into consideration in designing the park. There were three core values. Um, You can't change nature because you can't change the animals. So the park has to be organic and it has to be subject to nature. Um, There has to be a sense of adventure. Um, Again, it's never the same. It's a they wanted it – Joe wanted it to be a place where you don't know what to expect. And it has to look like an adventure could happen. And then it's a personal story about you. That was the third core value. And – but as he said and, – and this is my favorite park so I, uh, over there in Walt Disney World. So I just found this fascinating. Um, you talk about how we have a responsibility to animals. The story of Disney's Animal Kingdom is um, that it's connected – to um, the world through science, research, and conservation. But Animal Kingdom is just as created as the Magic Kingdom. It was uh, it was originally an ammunition testing range with just a lot of scrub and brush growing there. But it had to look real, just like the Magic Kingdom, you know, had to look mm-hmm. real. So, um, so Joe Rody had to uh, travel to the ends of the earth to do research. So he showed film and photos like traveling on a DC-3 plane, uh, a truck stuck in the mud. Um, they, they, they experienced a volcanic eruption that they sort of lived through uh, as they, they researched for this park. Um, it, when they were in the Maasai, they, they were there with their trucks and cameras, and, and they, they wanted to, you know, look at their village and take photos and all that. And the Maasai, you know, it all looked very tribal and all that. And the Maasai says it costs $5 per camera, you know, camera shot, and $20 per video. And Disney said, fine, they agreed. Well, 
the the Maasai got all into their you know their native clothing and all that and they started to pose but disney they'll start taking photos of the huts of the construction how of the art of how how are things tied together and all of that and after watching this for two or three minutes one of the Maasai tribesmen says so where are you chaps from Hmm. (laughs) and then they respond disney and then he says oh theme parks so, so I guess the Maasai weren't quite as remote as they yeah. thought. Yeah. So, um, so then, as they sketch and draw, etc., the Maasai they were invited to do all the things tourists are usually not invited to do. And then they showed a photo of an example of Joe Rody, um, you know, sort of dancing in a ch- temple ceremony with a Balinese drag queen. <laughs> as, as they did when they were in Bali, I guess. So um, then Joe Rody said that he started wearing earrings out of respect for indigenous people who he said now all wear Gap. <laughs> so anyway, he, oh. there, was a, there was a tinge of bitterness. Yeah, I, think, in his was, I can hear it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so Joe Rody said that um, travel is about building relationships. And there's one Balinese family that has done much of the wood carving all around Animal Kingdom. And then the interesting thing is the family um, then carves a new window in their home for every Animal Kingdom project that they do. And so he, he showed some um, photos of that. Yeah. And and the Tree of Life is based on the uh, on a Bali tradition of carving roots of dead trees um, with animals and um, Balinese gods. So that was interesting. Um, the buildings in Animal Kingdom represent all areas of Africa. They're not precise. They're not, um, you know, they're not famous places. They are as real as they can be made. Um, interesting thing is, you know where they got the name Harami? No, you I know, don't. Harami Village. It's the name of the boat that took them around Africa. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so, that's simple. Uh, that, yeah, I thought that's a, that's a nice little yeah. Change. So, um, so anyway, so when he talked about the change of tonight on the safaris, they're trying to replicate the end of day experience, you know, on the savanna. Yeah. Um, he talked about the Nepalese temple outside the Kali River Rapids, and it was designed and built. Um, by people from Nepal, and and he showed uh, again photos of you know temples in Nepal, and then this um, temple, and it would be you'd be hard you couldn't tell which was in Nepal and which one was in Animal Kingdom. Wow! wow. So um, um, all the Everest decorations and buildings come from areas in central Nepal, and uh, and like I said, it. it from the photos, it can be very difficult to tell um, which buildings are real and, and which are in Animal Kingdom. Then, have you eaten in Tiffin's? I still haven't yet. No, oh, I just haven't good made food. time. It's good food, and it's beautiful inside. And Tiffin's connects to the story, because Joe already designed that, mm-hmm. you know, of Animal Kingdom and conservation. And then he talked about Pandora. And um, he said the movie is about principal characters and what they have to say to each other. But you're not seeing what's going on behind the characters. Yeah. So that it's not enough. So what they had to do is re- they had to do research on Pandora in order to offer a full story that guests can believe in, whether it's Africa, Asia, 
or Pandora. So, um, so basically what they did is they, they sort of recorded, uh, they, they sort of recorded caves in Thailand to learn about um, bioluminescence. Yeah. And so, so again, they tried to go into the real world as much as possible to create this Pandora world of Avatar. So they said Animal Kingdom is a park about us and our place in the world. And this area that Pandora is in was originally going to be an area based on the animals of European mythology. And you can still see, you know, the dragon in the original logo. Yes. But um, now this land is anchored more in things that we can believe in. So... Um, so, the, yeah, Disney and so yes, yeah, so the Disney Animal Kingdom is a promise that you'll have an experience you can trust and is as real as if you did it, according to Joe Rody. So, and that's probably why it's one of my favorite. It's it is my favorite park there. And 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 that was it for all the formal um, experiences. Oh, wow. And and then in the program there was an in park gathering that was optional. And you know there were and then it says that was at eight p.m. And then at nine thirty was the conclusion of Destination D's Amazing Adventure. And you know the rumor going around was we were going to see Rivers of Light. Exactly. And this is sort of where things fell apart. It was just sort of um, well on your on your Magic Band two we've downloaded a free fast pass to Jingle Cruise. Uh, if you have an annual pass, feel free to go to the Magic Kingdom. They were really pushing, of course, the projection show yeah. on on the castle. They said, or if you like, um, you know, if you need a free ticket to the park, we have a free ticket for you. If you don't have an annual pass, which I thought was very oh, nice. Yeah. Very nice. And thank you for coming. We'll see you at the D23 Expo. Hmm. And I thought, wow, I mean, where's the in-park gathering? What's the what's – the, so it, it, it had the feel that they were really – they were going to do something else and it didn't quite work out. Yeah. So go have fun in the Magic Kingdom. Yeah, I, I still so. believe it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be Rivers of Light, but that just all fell apart with all the yeah. technical issues. So, Well, especially because they were saying, you know, we knew cast member previews were coming yeah. up yeah. and all that. So that's why I thought, okay, we're going to be the first ones to see it. And then, you know, that'll be it. Yeah, but hey. Someone so, else besides yeah. the cast members will see it someday. <laughs> yeah, 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 hopefully. So, and that was it. It sounds like an amazing weekend. It was. It was really great. So um, anyway, so but but we have now the D23 Expo to look forward to. Yes, we do. We do. Three days of fun. That's right. Looking forward to it. But of course, Craig and I will be here for you next time for our next episode of Connecting with Walt in which Craig and I will share our recommendations for books, films, music and more that we use to strengthen our connection to Walt that we believe you will also enjoy. So, Craig, until our next episode, where can our listeners find you on the Diz Unplugged Podcast Network? You can find me Tuesdays on the Disney World Show and Thursdays on the Universal Show and sometimes on the Dreams Unlimited Travel Podcast and just everywhere. I am always all around. (laughs) 
Well, you'll have to be on the Disneyland show sometime. Sometime. And, and that is, of course, where you can find me every Sunday night on the Diz Unplugged podcast, Disneyland edition with my good friends Tom Bell, Nancy Johnson, Mary Jo Mulata-Willie, and Tony Spatel, where we have lots of fun talking about Walt's Park that started it all, and all Southern California theme parks, the Walt Disney Family Museum, and even more Disney history. You can listen to us live on Mixler Sundays at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, Disneyland Time, and be sure to stay for the Blue Hour. You can download our two weekly shows from iTunes each Monday. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes at www.disunplugged.com and look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings. You can send me messages at michael at wdwinfo.com. On Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, I have a new page. It's simply Michael Bowling. And on Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling the Diz. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing that was all started by a man, Walt Disney and his brother, Roy. Roy.